Hey guys, what's up? It's Candace Kumai, and this is podcast number episode 56. Welcome to the Wabi Sabi podcast. It has been quite a wild ride since we've all last spoken. Uh, I have missed you guys. I have been putting my head down and working hard and making a difference in this world in ways that I know I can through storytelling, through sharing, connecting, and inspiring all of you. I'm constantly inspired by all of the recent events that have been happening in our culture and in our climate right now. Um, We're seeing a lot of political strife, racism, xenophobia, all kinds. And I will say this moment in time, we will be remembered by the things that we did to make change. People will not forget how you made them feel in this moment in time, which is so important for the Black community, the LGBTQ community, and the AAPI community to hear you stand up and support one another. One of the greatest things that we have is the ability to connect through human contact, communication. Our gift is sharing our story. So episode 56 is based on the women of the AAPI movement, and my girlfriends who are AAPI in our community. We stand in solidarity together with love. On Monday, March 22nd at 3 p.m. PST 2021, on Clubhouse in light of recent events, we thought it was more important for us to start addressing these challenges that are facing the Asian community in the U.S., We knew that it was time to support through education, awareness, facts, and how we create change together. So I want to introduce you to some of the most beautiful women that I am honored to call my friends, Ali Maki, Jamie Chung, Erin Lim, Shanina Sheik, Liv Goulding, Christina Rodolfo, Shadai McSween, Nadia Okamoto, Aya Kanai, Diana Tsui, and myself, Candice Kumai. We all support the AAPI community, the Black community, and all marginalized voices across the board. This conversation was had on Clubhouse, again, Monday, March 22nd at 3 p.m. PST. You may have been there, you may have had a friend there, or you may not have heard this conversation yet. But what you're about to hear is almost three hours of grace, open hearts, lots of tears, um, and a moment in time, which I'm proud to say was an unexpectedly beautiful surprise because just like with Kintsugi, sometimes it takes the broken moments for us to value the light in which we see grace and love come and form in these gold cracks And the cracks are where we can actually see, oh, wow, like we're all messed up. You know, everyone's got some sort of story where they have been broken to a certain extent. And I couldn't be more proud of these ladies. There are ways to support everybody that was on this panel. And I'll share that at the end of this podcast, but please take a listen to it. And I will disclaim at this moment, because I am a stickler for high quality and integrity, 
This podcast was not recorded professionally. It doesn't sound super high quality. So I'm letting you know ahead of time, it's not the best audio quality, but you will hear the stories and you will feel like you're in a clubhouse where it's just an audio app recording. I hope that you enjoy this podcast number 56 and that you share it with one of your your best friends or why not 10 of them. I don't know why I say one. Um, (laughs) All right, you guys, I hope you enjoy and share it with 25 of your best friends. (laughs) So many of you know her. She, Candice Kumai, is a journalist and author and activist. We also hear we have Jamie Chung actress and API ambassador. She's out in New York right now, I believe, and I saw her on her Instagram. She was in the rallies yesterday as well. Um, we have Ali Mackey. She's the founder of Asian American Girl Club in LA. If you haven't checked it out, really cool um, group and beautiful group of ladies as well with some super cool merch. <laughs> I love it. Um, there's also Aya Kanai. She is head of partnerships at Pinterest. There's Shade McSween, uh, my girlfriend, regional category manager of Sephora for Southeast Asia. I've known her for about 10 years. Crazy. Um, Nadia Okamoto, she's the founder of Period Movement. She's an author and activist and very vocal as well in the New York City um, area. Christina Rodolfo, she's a beauty director at Women's Health Magazine. Erin Lim, she's the e-news host based out of LA. And Shanina Sheikh, model and activist also from the UK and Australia. We have one more lady, Diana, who couldn't make it here today, but she is the editorial director at Infatuation. Um, and you may have seen her name come up in the articles that um, we're calling out Alexi McCammon tweets um, last week. Um, she couldn't be here, unfortunately, but we just wanted to recognize her and acknowledge her her um, presence and her activi- activity. Um, all right, so I'm going to hand it over to Candice now. Thank you, Liv. You are so wonderful and beautiful, and I agree. We are all holding a safe space and place for all of you here today. So first and foremost, thank you for the intro, Liv. And welcome to everyone. Thank you so much to our moderators, Liv, Shanina, Aaron, Ali, Shah, Jamie, Christina, Nadia, Aya. I am so happy and thrilled that all of you are here today. I know a lot of us have been going through the same types of feelings of anxiety, adversity, and not really understanding what might be happening at this moment in time. So today, um, I wanted to send a big warm welcome to each of you in this room. We see you from the top to the bottom with your party hats or without, and we are here for you. This is a place of love and light and sharing in a safe space. We are probably going to talk about some difficult conversations today that actually need to happen in this moment in time right now. It has never been more important to be proud to be AAPI and to support your AAPI friends and family. So before we get started in our talk, we wanted to all remember with a moment of silence, those beloved that we have lost recently and for those who are suffering in this time. The eight victims identified in the shooting in Georgia are Delania Ashley Young at 33, Paul Andre Michels, 54, Zhao J. Tan, 49, Yu Feng, 44, Soon Chung Park, 74, 
Win Young Grant, 51, Sun Cha Kim, 69, and Young Ao Yue. May all beings that are suffering rest in peace and find tranquility at this moment of time. And now we can go through intros, um, starting with Liv and Shanina, and we'll move from left to right. Uh, thank you for that, Candice. Um, yeah, I, I introduced myself just a little bit just now. So my name is Liv Lowe Golding, and I'm a yoga teacher and breathwork facilitator. Um, I'm actually doing this because of my child. Um, you know, I am about 40 weeks. I'm due to pop any soon. And, you know, these th what's happened recently has really brought up a lot of fear about, you know, the future of my child and what kind of world she's coming into. Um, so I thought it would be really important for me to just reach out. And I think taking the first step of reaching out was honestly very scary. Um, not knowing, you know, who felt the same way as I did or, you know, just so many ang so much anger and fear just swirling around. Um, but, you know, reaching out was the first step. And, and I want to encourage all of you and thank you all of you as well for being here because we are reaching out to each other in a very genuine way and we need each other, especially during this time. Um, so, yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> um, I'm done speaking. Hi everyone, um, I'm happy to be here. Uh, my name is Shima Shaikh. I am a model. Um, I also have an IG live series called Wellness Wednesdays. And for me, this topic and mission is really important for me because um, I'm very loving and nurturing and supportive of my Asian community. My mom. My stepmother, excuse me, is uh, she's Chinese Singaporean, and I have two younger brothers as well. And um, I also understand the feeling um, of being bullied because of my skin color or my my heritage. Um, so it's really important for me to be here and um, listen to all of you and learn as well, but to support one another um, and figure out how we can come together to up, uplift one another. So very happy to be here amongst all of you. So thank you. And I'm speaking. Thank you, Shanina. I'm so proud and happy to be right next to you. Um, I'm Candice Kumai. I'm a writer and journalist. I specialize in health and wellness books, and I love writing for Vogue or Well and Good or Girl Boss. Bon Appetit. Last year was a rough year for so many of us. I remembered feeling for my friends in the black community and then when I felt discrimination starting to ease over to the Asian community, I had felt exactly what my black friends had been feeling for their entire lives. It opened up a different part of my heart. I have more empathy and compassion for anyone who has seen adversity, who has been criticized or who has been marginalized in this world. Um, similar to what Shanina said, as a child, most of you don't know, I went to a predominantly white school and my sister and I were the only Asian girls. And a sad thing that is actually truthful is I used to hate the first day of school because of my name on the roll sheet. 
Um, I didn't look like anybody else and I didn't want to be like anybody else. I liked being Japanese and Polish, but I was teased for it because I was different. So this week's events have brought up multiple emotions for myself, for my family, and for my the safety of my family and all of you friends in this room. So thank you for being here. Hello, I am Erin Lim, and I am the host of Ease the Rundown and a contributor for E! News. And um, yeah, I'm honored to be in, in great company, and I'm here to to have an open and honest conversation um, to support, to uplift, and also to learn myself. I am biracial, I'm half Filipino, and Mexican in Los Angeles where it's very uh, like I was in the company of a lot of mixed race uh, kids growing up and I've always been proud of my heritage and especially being Filipino I have such a strong unit out here and I've seen so many Filipino classmates growing up um and uh, or token Latina or token brown person of my group and in my community. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I was an adult when I realized, oh, I'm oftentimes the butt of the joke or I'm, I'm oftentimes, um, I don't know, just, uh, just different. And, you know, now I look back at the discrimination that I've faced growing up you know, being Filipino, it was always bottom of the totem pole Asian. It was the blue collar Asian. It was the not smart Asian. Um, and on top of that, also being Latino came with so many other challenges. And um, and yeah, and and I'm and I'm just here to represent those who have often felt uh, lost. And um, yeah, it's been it's been so emotional lately, and I've never feared more for my family. Um, and uh, my community so i'm just here to support all of y'all and um to have a great combo i'm done speaking hi everyone my name is ali maki and i'm an actress and the founder of asian american girl club um and asian american girl club is a community that we created to basically help redefine what being an asian american woman looks like uh it really was after Crazy Rich Asians came out that I just had this very glass-shattering moment where I just saw so much support being rallied behind the Asian-American community, and I thought, you know, how can we dig even deeper? And, you know, that thereby my goal became Asian-American women. I really wanted a space where we could have conversations like this, where we could share and connect and not feel alone. Um, like so many of you, Candace and Aaron, I grew up in a town where I was one of the only Asian-American uh people in my town, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, I was raised by some incredible women. My mom was a single mother. Uh, my grandmother, uh, who is the most important person in my life, was actually, when she was 16 years old, was sent to the internment camps where over 100,000 Japanese Americans were sent. Um, and so, so much of my purpose uh, is living on in you know, telling her story and the story of the Nisei people. I'm a uh, fourth generation Japanese American and um, I'm heartbroken by what has happened um, in the past, not only during the pandemic, but um, this week in Atlanta. But I'm so honored and activated to share this space with all of you incredible humans 
and excited for this conversation. And I'm done speaking. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Sade. I am uh, based here in Singapore. I think I might be the only one uh, on this panel that's based in Asia. Uh, as Liv mentioned, I've known her for about 10 years. I've been in Singapore for eight years. I've been in Asia for almost nine years. A year, a year of that time was spent in Japan. Uh, Ali, your story... In, in general really kind of sounds extremely similar to my spouse so my husband is uh asian american also uh fourth generation japanese to the u.s um i think his family was able to get out of internment camps because they they changed their names to try to avoid um their family being sent to the camps um so it's for me you know, last summer I was in a very, very dark place uh, with everything going on with Black Lives Matter as it really very much hit close to home. Um, and being a minority in Asia and being a minority in the U.S. has kind of become my life. Um, so, you know, seeing what's happening within the Asian community hits even closer to home because, you know, I have obviously my husband um we have a, a small child together um and then on top of that you know i have a mother-in-law that you know is japanese that is living in the u.s so you know i worry for her um but it's this is you know a, an amazing opportunity for me to you know share you know my perspective with all of you as you know a minority um and also as an ally and you know a person that my entire life I've spent around Asian people, whether they're Korean or Japanese um, or Chinese. So this is family for me. Um, you know, I, I want to call myself an ally, but in, in actuality, I feel like this is, you know, I have a, an AAPI daughter um, and, you know, I'm a loudmouth mom. So I'm, you know, whatever I have to do to support her, I will do. And um, so, yeah, I've really dedicated my career as well to, you know, I work for Sephora, really pushing uh, the narrative of, you know, Asian beauty curators. Um, I think it's so important to, you know, to show representation, to show that, you know, Asian people can do everything outside of what the model minority, uh, you know, narrative tells, you know, everybody that they can do. So I'm so, so humbled and, um, excited to sit with all of these absolutely gorgeous women um, who are just so smart and so intelligent and I'm just again so humbled to be here thank you I'm done speaking thank you Shaw uh, my name is Jamie Chung um, I'm currently in New York I am an actress but also this year's ambassador for HBO APA visionaries which uplifts Asian voices and storytellers by allowing them to tell their stories from their perspective, which I think is extremely important, especially during these times, because I think the only way that we can change the narrative is to be the one writing the narrative and to be sharing our experiences. Um, it's been, I'm here today because with what's gone on within this last year and this last week, I thought it was really important to 
be vocal about it, even though it's been exhausting. It's something that we need to continue to do. So I'm very grateful to be here and to be a part of this conversation. But I also think not only is it important for us to share our experiences and to uplift each other, I think it's really important to understand our own history, understand that racism exists even within the Asian community, which we need to call out and we need to put an end to. Um, and yeah, I feel like that's the only way that we can, we can really move forward is to band with other people against white supremacy, which is the common denominator to all of these hate crimes and to all of these injustices, period. Thank you, Jamie, and everybody else for sharing your stories and your backgrounds. Um, I'm just really honored to be here. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Rodolfo. I'm a journalist of over a decade. I've written for magazines like Elle, InStyle, and I'm currently the beauty director at Women's Health. I report on the beauty at the intersection of wellness and especially mental health. Um, I can especially speak to decolonizing our beauty standards, um, the way that anti-Asian racism is perpetuated in the beauty industry with cultural appropriation and beyond. I'm a proud Filipino-American. I grew up in New York City, uh, deeply rooted in my heritage. I grew up in a very strong Asian community. Um, so I've always done everything I could to amplify Asian-Americans through my work. Um, but I also really feel for people who didn't grow up in that environment are an ex and are experiencing an awakening of, of sorts and looking for ways to show up even louder and prouder than before. And I'm here to support that. Um, and just excited to connect here with everybody. Um, I'm Nadia, uh, and I am based in New York City, um, and I'm half Japanese and half Chinese, and I'm 23 and in my last semester of college. My background's primarily in the nonprofit space, and now I'm uh, closing up seed round for a direct-to-consumer business in the period space. Um, and honestly, I just feel really numb and exhausted. <laughs> I feel like everybody, including all these random people now sliding into my DMs, uh, who I haven't heard from in years, checking on me as sort of a token Asian friend, have been asking me like, how are you feeling? And my honest answer is just that I'm, I've just been feeling numb. I think I've cried so much, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm ready to mobilize. And I think I'm really feeling that phenomenon of feeling like everything and nothing at all at the same time. Um, I think this last year has really pushed me into a lot of learning along with the rest of the world to really look at my own identity in the context of the discrimination and racism that still exists today. And I think that in the last year, unfortunately, so late in life, I'm 23 now, um, I'm finally learning about the history of Asian America. And I reflect on my high school years and actually feel really upset at the fact that I learned about Lewis and Clark every fucking year, but did not learn in depth about Japanese internment or Chinese Exclusion Act or the history of racism and creation of model minority myth, um, you know, in, in the U.S. And I think that the model minority myth is something that I've really been thinking about, you know, over the last year, but also especially in this moment of I finally feel like there is this opening for people to talk about anti-Asian violence and discrimination. And it's so heartbreaking that it took a mass shooting to really open this floor up. But, um, 
you know, I, I think I've really been dismantling a lot of the model minority myth, even within myself over the last year, right? And recognizing that the model minority myth was actually very much created, um, is rooted in anti-blackness and created, uh, you know, by white-owned media in the 20th century from, you know, using the term as a tool to create divides between marginalized communities, right? And I think that what this moment is really teaching us and unfortunately the discrimination that was perpetuated by the last four years of the Trump administration is really highlighting the falsity of that. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, that's kind of how I'm showing up here is, you know, I'm tired, but I'm ready to mobilize. And, and I think that, you know, I'm heartbroken by the events, but Clubhouse and this community have really gotten me through the last week. And I'm just really, um, I feel like I just need this space right now. And Liv, I was shedding tears while you were doing the record just because I feel like I just haven't taken a breath in the last week. Like I've been holding my breath on this. And uh, I'm just really thankful to be here. And I'm really honored to be um, among such incredible, incredible um, women that I've looked up to for a really long time. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Aya Kanai. And Nadia, I don't know if you noticed, but there was like a very um, perfect revving of engines when you said that you were ready to mobilize. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I, too, am from uh, New York City, and I am, I am here in New York City right now. Um, I have, uh, you know, been lucky enough to call Christina Rodolfo a colleague and so I am so happy to see all of these amazing women in the room today this is actually the first time that I've come off mute in a clubhouse so yay Aya (laughs) (laughs) very stressful but um uh so once again my name is Aya Kanai I'm the head of creator partnerships at Pinterest and was a journalist for about 20 years uh working in the publishing industry which is why I know so many of these lovely people Um, And I, too, have felt uh, really hopeless, and I didn't want to do something sort of performative, and it's felt really challenging to know how to address um, what we have been seeing going on. Um, And uh, I I agree that uh, when Liv was doing her breath work, I felt like my jaw came unclenched for the first time in frankly weeks and um that we aren't really taking you know we're we're consuming so much news um and that's that's how i spend my quote-unquote free time is consuming all the news but then i leave myself with basically a stress-ridden shell of a body of my own body and so um being a part of conversations like this i think are ways for us to connect with each other naturally and also to sort of know that we are not alone in these situations that we are all experiencing a a truly uh, epic amount of stress and in terms of knowing how to best respond knowing how to support our families i'm also a mother and really am very much motivated through my work uh to try and create um, in my own small way, uh, a safer and more positive internet because the internet and our engagement with 
social platforms, it's not going away, right? So these tools that we use every single day, the tool that you hold in your hand, it's extremely powerful. It's These tools uh, can be used for a great amount of good and also to cause a lot of harm. And so if I can in any way be a part of creating a positive space on the internet, that's truly what I want to do in this stage of my career, certainly addressing um, everything that we have seen um, uh, in terms of violence towards underrepresented groups. So thank you so much for having me. I am done speaking and I'll pass it back to Candice. I, uh, we are so happy to have you here from afar. I'm going to give you a huge compliment. My girlfriend is a fashion designer from New York to Asia and she and I both think that you are the coolest. So <laughs> she once told me, I'm already following her on Instagram. So it is so nice to be with all of you ladies. I love hearing about your backgrounds and where you came from. It truly makes you who you are. Uh, one note that I would love to bring up is the importance of history that Jamie brought up. And Allie, with your family, in speaking of the Japanese internment camps, um, one part of learning more about Black Lives Matter was learning from my friend Barry, who's in the room right now. Hi, Barry and Steph. Um, Barry told me many stories about how we could learn from Black history in the U.S. and how a 400-year problem is what really caused this explosion. And unfortunately, like we had spoken about earlier, it took this horrible event in Atlanta for everybody to wake up and start to realize that just because Asians are taught predominantly to be very quiet, calm, and as my mom would always say, you know, we don't want any trouble. That is, that does not mean that suffering in silence is okay. So when we speak about the internment of Japanese Americans, this happened back in 1942. The U.S. government at the time accused the Japanese of spying on the U.S. during the war. And so, although these 120,000 Japanese people were actually American, the U.S. decided to put them into camps for about three years, from 1942 to 1945. Everything and anything that they owned was taken away from them. This was part of American history that we were not taught. And it is not the same now, but history does tend to repeat itself if we don't have these hard conversations. So, Ali, Nadia, Liv, any of you, if you'd like to touch a bit more on history that we can share with others. Sorry, I'd also like to point out that my high school in San Francisco, I'm from San Francisco, the high school is called Lowell High School. It's one of the magnet high schools uh, west of the Mississippi, and it's it's attended by 98% Asian Americans. And it was once the rice paddy farm of a Japanese family, land that was taken away from them um, and seized by the city and turned into our high school, which is... Uh, which is terrible. And I'd also like to point out that, you know, we've always had to prove how American we are, how proud we are to be American. And as Japanese families were taken to internment camps, their sons were enlisted to fight in our wars. So, sorry, Holly, go ahead. 
No, thank you, Jamie. You're going to bring me to tears because, man, it's just, wow. Um, Yeah, I guess I can share a little bit about my grandparents um, and how much they mean to me. Um, Like you said, Jamie, my grandfather was actually, he served in the 442nd unit. He was a medic, um, and he served in, in Italy, and basically he helped his fellow soldiers um, you know, when they needed um, surgery. And the funny thing about my grandma is, you know, till the very, the day, until the day that she died, she, you know, I'd ask her questions about it all the time. I'm like, Grandma, what, you know, what was it like? And, you know, tell me more. And she'd always just be like, you know, I actually think it, it was a good thing. And I was always like, why? How can you possibly look at this as a good thing? And she goes, well, you know, we were desperately poor. And the thing that we don't remember is that there's still immigrant an immigrant family. And from even before the interned camps, they were facing racism and xenophobia. Um, and so to her, it was framed as a, as a good thing because they were already in extreme poverty because of the Alien Land Law Acts that they were already under, which basically Asian Americans could not own land, even though they were born in this country. My grandmother was born in this country. Um, they were forbidden to uh, purchase any land under their name. So essentially, um, their family were sharecroppers, and they were devastatingly poor. She told me stories about how they would have one pair of shoes, and she would take them off when she walked to school just so that they wouldn't ruin that one pair of shoes. And during the winter, they had one coat that they would you know, spend the whole year to save up to get. Um, so by the time that they even were placed into the camps, you know, they were already facing that. And, you know, that's something that really sits with me. Um, my grandparents did meet in the camps um, and they were in love till the day that they died. Um, it was a love story, you know, dictated by discrimination. But I, I look to it as such a sense of hope. Um, and, yeah, if anyone else wants to add. But, yeah, I'm done. I'm done talking. I think what I'm definitely hearing and being educated on by all of you ladies, you know, being new to the U.S. myself is we don't learn about Asian American history as much as we should. And, you know, not just in America itself, but it's it's not in the history books. Um, and it's really important for us to not just learn, but to and to educate ourselves, but our children as well. Um, going through going through and trying to catch up on everything as well. Um, you know, I learned so many things, um, but uh, as some of you already brought up, the Chinese Exclusion Act meant that we were only able to become American citizens fully in 1965. There was some lifts, but only fully in 1965, which means that we are extremely privileged to be here now um, and to and it's very the wound is very real and it's very much alive and it's with it's carried within our grandparents and within our mothers and fathers and to see them the ones that are being attacked now I, I wish that they could be in this dialogue um, but we are here representing them and you know voicing for them because it is very much in our culture that we are not to speak out like we are told that um, we are, you know, more, it's, it's more of who we are to, to just be silent. And I think this is why the last couple of weeks have been so heavy, um, because hearing our brothers and sisters speak out, it's really empowered us and given us a lot of strength, um, 
in our own fears to to start to acknowledge these things within ourselves and start to to see how we can start to empower others you know and and for many of us this is the first time we're speaking out and and it, it's completely okay, no matter how or when you've come to this this um, this place. You know, it all takes a lot of self reflection and a lot of learning. And and we're not here to judge or or anything like that. But I also want to acknowledge that even if you don't know, even up to this point right now, if you don't know how you feel about all of this, that's okay too. Um, this will be an ongoing dialogue we are not going to be quiet and we're not going to stay silent anymore this is something that people are going to continue to speak about in the media we're going to take it to capitol hill things are going to keep on going and um you know we're going to close in the end with more resources and things like that but um you know if there's any time i I heard some of you ladies saying you know that it's been so heavy and i feel you um, so taking those moments, you know, I, I have to be honest, I deleted all my social media just for the weekend um, leading up to this because I just couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. Um, I was at my breaking point and, and I needed to rebuild myself over the weekend. So, you know, even just acknowledging that is and taking a break is okay, too. Um, you know, we need so much is coming at us. We need time to process these things. And and sometimes it sounds like the, the best thing to do to say something. But then we don't really know what we're saying and we don't really know how we're feeling. So, yeah, just just acknowledging that, you know, it's OK to not be OK. <laughs> and, and that we're all here for you. And speak. I would love to build off of that. And also, I think. I just want to say it's so powerful to be on this, like, all API female stage. I think for, you know, I've been on Clubhouse maybe since January, and it does feel very male-dominated and white-centric a lot of the times, and it's just powerful to just see even how the energy is different. And I also wanted to say it's really powerful because one of the things that makes me the most angered about what has happened in the last week is how mainstream media and even police authorities aren't recognizing or filing this as a racially motivated hate crime. And the excuse that has been used and uh, you know even published is that the shooter said that he has a sexual obsession with Asian women and had to eliminate the temptation. The police authorities saying that he was having a bad day. And this idea that the fetishization of Asian women is one, something that has a very deep history in entertainment and Hollywood, obviously, and it's really, I, I mean, I would love to even open that um, to those of the, uh, the people here who, who are in that space, but also taking it onto history is like, there is a, that fetishization of Asian women in the U.S. especially is very much embedded into the history of the U.S. military and how poverty in um, especially East Asian countries pushed women into that sex work, right? And so this kind of, even during this like obvious hate crime, the fact that this perpetuation of the fetishization of Asian women still continues. And we aren't really aware of the history of why that exists and the responsibility that the U.S. should take for that, right? I think at the same time, 
you know, we think a lot about, you know, where does this discrimination start? Where does the model minority myth begin, right? Same thing, white-owned media. You know, there was legislation once immigration started opening up, but very much on the quote-unquote Einstein laws where people who were already highly educated in these countries were allowed to doctors, lawyers, um, and it was kind of plastered across media. I remember there was a Time magazine cover that says the, the Asian whiz kids or something like that, right? But the media narrative that was created was this idea that Asians are making it because of the cultural values or something that they have. You know, and that's kind of what I was saying at the beginning of eliminating the diversity and ignoring that there is any sort of discrimination because, oh, look, we're celebrating that work. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'm, this stage is just, it, it's giving me all the feels just because I think especially with um, the comments that were made like with race and gender uh, in the last week, it's just so important to have these conversations. I feel like that's a, a lot to unpack, unpack, Nadia, and I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, there's this really great book. It's called The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee. And it has a chapter devoted to the first wave of Chinese immigrants that came to the United States. Um, in her book, she mentions that she's, she's a historian. She mentions that, you know, the first wave was, was mostly Asian men working on the railroads here for the gold rush, et cetera, building our cities, but not a lot of Asian women. And so I, I would, I would assume that this, this fetish, that this fetish for Asian women started because there was very few here, but when they were here, they were instantly treated like objects and 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 you know a mystery or you know cunning dragging ladies and you know we've seen a lot of the posts on social media thanks to neck shark um you know highlighting the movies and the shows that are responsible for perpetuating the stereotype and you know i do think that in 2021, we are finally starting to make strides in entertainment. And I think that's all because we are taking control of the narrative. It is being told from our perspective. It's not a cisgender white male who's writing about an Asian American character versus actually hiring an Asian writer to help tell that character's story. A hundred percent, Jamie, I hear you on that. Um... You know, the, the media has been changing so much lately and we can see um, not just with with the um, with the films coming out lately, you know, but also being nominated for, for the Oscars um, and finally getting some recognition in, in, in the spaces and the stories that we're telling. Um, so I definitely you know, this all of this it 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 rides the same wave and it goes in um, with each other. Um, and you know, fetishizing—it's—it's—it intermixes with a lot of a lot of other things. Um, but of of course, as you mentioned, um, racism racism as well. And you know, this pollution of the mind—it—it's a bigotry that um, that needs to be that needs to be addressed and unpacked. And to be able to have someone just say, you know, I had a bad day, does not give you justification to go on a rampage and kill people. Um, you know, it's interesting that I've been following the Me Too movement as well. Um, and it's interesting to know that Harvey Weinstein also used the same this same accusation that or the same victim victimhood he said that he was he has a sexual addiction to defend himself against rape and sexual abuse allegations as well which we all know he is essentially guilty of and this was thrown out 
Um, but, you know, this painting of themselves as a victim because of sex sedition um, does not justify killing people. And, um, and yeah, it makes me extremely angry um, that these women can be targeted in, in such a way. So I, I think, you know, Nadia and Liv, when you both mentioned the, the whole had a bad day situation, for me, when I, when I looked at what this man did, my immediate thought, especially when that police officer got up there and said, ah, you know, it seemed like he had a bad day. Um, I immediately think of trial, I think of prosecution, and I think of how you choose your jury. And I think that police officer getting up there and making those comments, um, I've seen people, you know, we've all seen people murder, you know, especially police officers murder people in cold blood and get off and, and not have to, you know, serve any time. I'm assuming that was something so horrendous like this that this person will have to serve his time. But the prosecution has, in my opinion, has a pretty tough job on their hands of choosing that jury. Because if you're choosing males, if you're choosing white people, which I'm assuming his defense would want that, that is so relatable to so many people. I had a bad day and I like having sex. These, to me, like, it's just out of all the things that this man said to you when you were, you know, taking, you know, his, you know, story, why would you get up there and say that he had a bad day? Like, especially in light of us in the middle of a pandemic, you know, people are out of jobs. Like, in my opinion, that made that person so relatable. I remember thinking to myself, I have bad days all the time, sometimes consecutively. And you're, you're taking, uh, you know, a, a, he killed a group of people that we all, a lot of people look at as, you know, easygoing. They don't say a lot. And it's just so unfortunate that they just got caught in the crosshairs that this guy having a bad day um i'm i'm really i really look forward to his trial and who they choose to sit on that jury to judge him because it needs to really be people who are super unbiased to having a bad day and, and, and again how how difficult would that be to choose the right people to for, for this man's trial because yeah i just uh, watching that police officer say that uh, it mm, it really just yeah I'm just speaking. I think it's also, Shaw, exactly what you said brought up a lot for me, even in remembering Vincent Chin, right? The fact that not too long ago, Vincent Chin was murdered by two men who were screaming like racist remarks while murdering him, and they didn't get any jail time because, quote unquote, they weren't the type of guys you put in jail, right? And so that there is this history of what does it look like when it comes to persecution um, around these sorts of matters, and we've seen that throughout U.S. history. Yeah, to, to expand more about Vincent Chen, he was um, Chinese-American. He was working in Detroit in the auto industry, and it was two disgruntled white men who had lost their jobs because um, of, the, of the Japanese auto boom. And assuming that he was Japanese, beat him, clubbed him to death, and they admitted to clubbing him to death, and yet got um, no jail time. If there's any more of you ladies who want to um, speak on this topic, we can. I'm going to open up the floor um, to some some of you who want to join. 
um, and to also join in the dialogue and and ask questions as well. So I'm seeing a few of you join. Um, Sorry, it's my first time moderating as well, so I'm going to figure out how to do this. Candice, can you take over for a second? Yeah, of course. I was going to say, you're doing a great job. So we're going to bring up a couple of people that have held their hands up. Ashley, David, Marielle, um, and we can go in that order. When we bring you up, if you can hit mute on your mic, if you're not speaking, that would be great. And Aaron... Let's see. Let's start with Ashley. Ashley, what is your question or comment? Hi. Um, I'm just so thrilled, Candice. I love your book. Live your weights, Allie. The shirts. <laughs> um, Jamie. You know, Lovecraft. Roll my mind. Christina. I follow all the time. Nadia um, is like a clubhouse genius. Just absolute genius um and i'm just yeah really happy to be in this room thank you so much for holding this space um i love what we're saying i think it's so important that you know we create these like greeting areas um and communities but like i really love when people also talk about not centering pain in terms of our in terms of what brings us together uh, I think, you know, the fact that when Allie was saying, you know, when she wanted to create uh, like a, a community or after Crazy Rich Asians, it was because it was because it was about, you know, identity. It was about, you know, feeling um, not alone, about feeling, um, you know, that the only thing that really community can give. Right. It's like support. It's friendship. It's um, all of all of all of these things that that I think fill us. Um, but I think it's super important to, you know, keep reiterating these things that Nadia is bringing up and, and Jamie as well in terms of, um, you know, the past history of Asian American history and things that we uh, don't know. And, you know, for those of us who are like semi scholars of Asian American history or literature, it, it's taken us a long time to, to figure things out. They do say that the grassroots movement is really what moved the needle for Me Too as well as the Black Lives Matter movement. And so at this point in time, I think we should all recognize that we are woke. We're all finally speaking up and speaking out because Asian women, as Erin noted earlier, unfortunately are taught to be quiet, submissive, and to sit back and be an observer. And we no longer can fucking sit around and observe all day and see horror happen to our grandparents. So I would love to pass this over to Sonia, then we'll move to uh, Marielle and David, and we'll turn hand raising back on in just a moment. Sonia, after you. Hi everyone, thanks for me. Oh, blah. Thanks for bringing me up, Nadia. I've had such a long day, sorry. And I'm actually supposed to be on another <laughs> AAPI for Creatives Talk right now, but I'm skipping it to be here. Um, I just wanted to say hello to so many of my friends who are on stage. Um, you, you all know who you are. I wanted to jump up on stage earlier because you, you were talking about the fact that it's not, uh, well, it's not being called a hate crime. And I wanted to address that really quickly because I was in another room and got a, a massive dose of education that helped me understand a little bit more about the legal system. But before I do that, I just wanted to say, um, I don't know how many, like, I don't know what the ages are who are in this room right now, but I do want to say for people who may be older, like our parents' age or older who are on here, 
they have been fighting for a very long time as well. It's not like we're just suddenly all, uh, potentially many of us are suddenly becoming woke, but my mother, Susie Wong, started the Asian American Center at UCLA in the late 60s and was part of um, getting, she was an activist getting rights for the immigrant workers at UCLA. Um, the FBI literally followed her. I'm learning about all of this now because it's coming up and we're talking about it in our family, but apparently the FBI followed her for months because of her activism work and kind of alignment with some of the other um, political organizations that were happening in California then. But, you know, there, the sad thing is, right, fast forward 50 years and everything that my mother and all of the other people who came before us were fighting for, we are now at just the exact same fucking place. And it's depressing, but I am also so motivated. And I think social media and access is what's a huge differentiating factor. So I'm really excited for like everyone, all generations to be able to kind of push forward. Um, but really quickly about the hate crime uh, thing, because, uh, because I think actually many people in the media absolutely recognize that it is a hate crime, that it was absolutely specific toward Asian women. But I learned from a few other prosecutors and lawyers in a different room that it, the part of the reason why legally it is not being classified as such, and for all of us who are, you know, emotionally feeling this, we're all like, you know, why the F is this not a hate crime? It is so obviously a hate crime. Um, prosecution, you have to think about it in terms of what is going to get this guy, like, the harshest sentence, first of all, what is going to ensure that he does not get off, which is really interesting. I never would have thought about any of this stuff as a creative and an entrepreneur. Um, and also, uh, sentences and, like, prosecution of so-called, like, when there are classified hate crimes are often much more lenient. And so it was really helpful for me to hear from people in the legal community to talk about it that way and understand that, like, many, many people absolutely know that this was, in our opinion, a so-called hate crime. It was terrible. It was very specifically against Asian women. But from a legal perspective, there may be reasons why they aren't actually classifying that because they want this, you know, they want this asshole to get put away and they need to ensure that that happens. So just wanted to throw that out there as well. Um, and the only, the last thing I'll say before I have to hop off to the other room is that I've been holding, I've been holding rooms since I joined in January before any of this happened around celebrating Asian excellence. And I really encourage everyone who is listening right now to do the same because I think um, it's so amazing when we come together as a community like this, but it's also, uh, you know, it's also sad that it's around something so traumatic and I would love to encourage everyone to continue to use their voices and do the things within their communities that they can do. So for me, I'll continue to hold rooms to celebrate all the amazing badasses like Allie that I know, you know, and continue to uplift and um, push forward all the amazing uh, men and women that you know that are Asian or BIPOC or really just doing great work because I think that's part of it as well. Thank you. This is Sonia. I'm done speaking.
Right on, Sonia. Thank you for the work that you do in our community and for holding a safe space for so many incredible Asian women and for moderating here on Clubhouse and being the change that you wish to see. And I think a lot of us have commented on how active Nadia is. She really is a, a total hustler when it comes to Clubhouse. So um, if you want to follow one of the moderators or all the moderators and all the people raising their hands for questions, this is how we build community, is we meet perfect strangers on this social app. Like Aya said earlier, this is a resource, this is a tool, and this is a way for us to connect on a different level. All right, I'm going to go ahead and bring up Marielle and then David and Alyssa for questions. Marielle, how can we help? Hi, everybody. I'm just so grateful to have this opportunity to be in this space. I love all the women who are here, and I'm just uh, this is actually my very first time speaking in a clubhouse room, so yay! But I just like to. Uh, I'm from Canada, and I think we, um, my country, we have like the, I guess, reputation that oh we're open, we love everybody, and it's not um, the news regarding um, incidents and hate crimes is not as big compared to what's been happening next door in the U.S., but I just want to say that, um, especially because of COVID, all of the Asian hate, Asian hate-motivated incidents has been exacerbated because of this pandemic, and I'm actually in healthcare, and oftentimes, I, it's, it's very tough. I'm, I'm, I'm nursing, and as much as I love the career I'm going into, it's very tough when people you provide care for are essentially refusing the care because I'm someone different. I'm someone who is not, who doesn't look like them. As as a Filipino woman, I was essentially raised here in Canada. I, I'm more Canadian than Filipino, but I do love my background and I, I do have, I feel proud of my, of my upbringing, but it's just very tough sometimes when people spew horrible words when you really just want to provide comfort and care for them. So I send love and like for everyone who who have the loudest voices who speak up for other people and I am just very grateful for this this presence of this group and having a voice in Clubhouse. Um, my name's Mariel. I'm just thankful for speaking. I'm just speaking. Thank you. Mariel. We thank you for your work in the healthcare arena and also each of us women up here can empathize when you feel that people judge you just simply when you walk in a room because you look different than them. I can't count how many times I've gone just to a workout class where every woman in the room was Caucasian and they made me feel unwelcome. They made me feel snubbed and they had no idea that I grew up in that hometown that I just happened to be visiting my parents in. So another really simple resource and tool for us to all use is to just smile, get to know other people, find out where they come from, and make friends with people that don't look or act or don't have anything in common with you and find out how you can learn and grow. Um, so thank you for sharing. We have David up next who is the first male Asian male, come up and speak. David, welcome, and how can we help you? 
Hi, thank you so much. I truly appreciate it um, that you guys let me come here and speak a little bit. I'll make this try to be brief, so um, we can have the ladies have more time to to talk. Um, so I'm Taiwanese. I uh, grew up in Hong Kong, China. I came to New York uh, a few years ago, and um, yeah. So I've been. So I was drag. I was. Um, so I, I was. I got it. So I saw the topic of this room. That's why I came in. Now I really want to share how I've been um, wanting to support the Asian community. Like I uh, grew up with mostly Asians, and I came to the states, um, but and I see that it's pretty spread out. So I really want to do my part to kind of find and um, help create more bridges between the Asian community. Um, so when I was like back in when I was still studying um, optometry. I was joining these uh, networking events like Taiwanese uh, Junior Chapter of Commerce, which now I am a board of director of. Um, so we try to help more um, Taiwanese people in New York with uh, whatever stages they are. And then I also uh, host events. Um, the, when the Crazy Rich Asian um, movie came out, I thought it was a great idea. So I, I, I do like a you know, Crazy Rich Asian theme gala. So what I want to try to do is Everything that I use, I try to um, use Asian business owners like things, um, like an Asian business owner venue to like. So I also had um, hosted a, like a fashion runway show. Um, so I, like Asian designers, Asian photographers, Asian like videographers, etc. It's like everything like, um, and then so wanted to promote their business and then. Um, up with all the Asian um, friends that I, I know and maybe potentially know, and then now even on Clubhouse, I'm hosting like these weekly um, New York Asian business owner clubs, like meetups, to bring all the Asian uh, business owners I, I know, so that they can meet more um, of the Asian business owners in New York, so they can like, kind of help and support each other. And then like I do like um, food industry, fashion industry, etc., etc. So if anyone can help or interested to do that, please um, join us. And then um, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you so much for um, hosting these kind of rooms, and hopefully I can uh, do more to help support the Asian community. Thanks so much. Wow, David, you are already doing so much. We are so honored to have you with us in this space. And thank you for the work that you do. Every little thing that you do makes a big impact and difference. Um, Alyssa is joining us from the Aloha State, so we have our first Hawaiian girl. Welcome, Alyssa. Aloha, Candice. Mahalo, everybody. Aloha, Kako. Thank you so much for this space, and special thank you to Candice um, for helping me navigate this. This is my very first time on Clubhouse, and I literally Googled what is Clubhouse this morning to prepare for today. But um, I just wanted to share a little bit. I'm a writer. I'm a faculty member at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. I'm a fourth generation Japanese um, and also mixed with European ancestry um, in Hawaii. And um, like Ali Maki shared, my grandparents were interned. Um, but I also wanted to just bring up a little thing about language. So the Densho Project, which oversees um, 
Japanese American history, they really encourage us instead of saying internment camps to say incarceration. And so um, just moving forward, um, just kind of being mindful of language as, you know, we're talking about what we're seeing in the media in regards to whether or not something is a hate crime in the language that's being used. Um, and then I also just wanted to share, I'm beginning my dissertation on um, Japanese Americans who were incarcerated during World War II um, at the college age level in post-secondary in- education. And then beyond the resource of Densho project, I'd also like to include the AAPI Women Lead, um, which is an Instagram account started by Dr. Um, Connie Wen. But mahalo, I really, really appreciate this space, and I'm thinking of all my Asian brothers and sisters on the continent. Take good care. Aloha. Oh. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I do want to kind of just kind of reset the room and and just bring it back to our discussion, um, what the topics that we brought up um, about, about sexualization, um, the history, and also how it intersects with racism. Um, you know, I, I really want to push the dialogue forward on perhaps, you know, what else can we bring to the table about changing, changing this perspective? Um, you know, being an ex-model myself, I'm very hyper-aware of the male gaze and, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, having a child soon, I do want to be able to protect and, and um, support my child, you know, from having these identity crises, if you will, um, and to be able to um, continue to have the resources to, to make this world a better place. Um, so perhaps discussing a little bit how we can change the the sexualization of Asian women and also how we in the media can do um, do better and to and to cover better as well. Any of you ladies there have have a have a comment on that? I guess my comment, hi um, everyone. Uh, I'm glad to be on this stage with so many women that I've been following and really appreciate a lot of the work that you guys have been doing over the years. And I guess my comment is less about uh, maybe the sexualization and fetishization of women, but more so just to speak about how, you know, as a community, kind of seeing everyone's voices be activated over the issues this past year um, is an act of, you know, it's like an action step in itself because I feel that for a long time, whether it's our generational traumas or our parents, like depending on how you grew up, there was sort of this idea that we had to suppress our pain and our discomfort in situations, whether that was in school or just in your personal life. And I think that how we can affect change within our own immediate surroundings is to normalize discomfort and to normalize sort of like speaking up and having a voice and not being afraid of, you know, being too serious or getting too deep or too you know like a lot of people when they first start speaking up and I know I've seen on social media people kind of reaching out and starting to speak about things for the first time that make them really anxious or uncomfortable and honestly it can start with just an affirmation or a a like on their post or just resharing because it further affirms a person's decision to continue to share um, and speak up because I think our community is sort of 
you know, it's awakening now, but we still have a long way to go in terms of building a really strong community within ourselves and even like Asian women as a whole, just to reject any kind of claims that whether it's white supremacy, men or the media kind of put on us is to tell our own stories. And even within on on this stage, I mean, Nadia has done so much to break um, the stereotypes against like menstruation and Jamie like speaking out as a celebrity um, who is Asian and also just like taking on roles that don't define or put her in a box. And I think that like as individuals, we just have to hero each other and just our differences and not feel ashamed or shy away from the tough conversations because unfortunately like we do have to leave those conversations and I don't think it's up to other communities to kind of like take that on their shoulders like we definitely have to be our own champions and our own leaders for what change we want to see and other people will then feel motivated and inspired to join us and I guess in that same vein I would just encourage people to when you're on Clubhouse, it can definitely feel like a vacuum. And there's a lot of conversations that are kind of trying to divide us or create division within minority communities. And I would just say to like really pull on your own individual experiences and try to reject that as much as possible. Because I think the last thing that we should be doing that could be damaging um, as a community is to try and like co-opt from other communities, whether it's the black community or any other community to try and like I've heard terms and I've heard things about like Asian excellence or trying to say like Asian lives matter. And I do think that some of that language can be problematic because I think that we should be kind of leading our own charge and also supporting the black community in their efforts and not trying to dim. I know it's not on purpose, but when we start having those language, um, when we start defining certain actions that way, it can sort of dim or center ourselves within their own um, within their own plight. So, I guess those are just two things that I wanted to say on this stage while I had um, a few hundred people listening, and hopefully, um, people can take away just to be loud, be empowered, and kind of just own your own individual stories and share them, and continue to speak out. Thank you, thank you, Jess, so much. Um, just to piggyback on that. I, I totally agree with you 100%. And I do also think in order to be allies, you have to understand their pain and understand their stories and their history as well. They have been pushing this rock up the hill and we, you know, we need, we need to help out. We need to do our part as well. Yes, just, just exactly what Jess and Jamie said, um, but also because, you know, as personally as a yoga instructor, um, I definitely um, feel what you're what you're mentioning, Jess, about self-empowerment. And, you know, if you're feeling empowered um, in any way, shape or form, you know, take notice of these feelings and, you know, put those feelings into action. And it's not it's not something to be ashamed of, and it's not something to to deny any longer. Um, you know, it's instead looking to how how we what tools do we have, and how can we assist? Um, besides looking at ourselves, how can we assist the problems and help other people? You know, whether it be if you see someone being attacked, um, I have been in situations where, you know, I have had you know, my sister's being called racial slurs around me. You never know how you're going to react in a situation, but, 
you know, having that, having that situation, looking back on that situation now and seeing how you ca- I can do better, of course. Um, and, and, you know, besides being there and verbally supporting them, you know, taking some of the, the mentions that you guys have brought up today in, in further supporting people, you know, not just being there for them in the moment, but also, you know, continuing to make a community, having those difficult conversations, um, and and making this more than just the immediate moment right now. Um, I would also like to to just mention, you know, that there's a lot of you that you know that perhaps don't even have the tools um, to to even whether it be to process what is going on now or to help other people. Um, but there are tools and resources out there, and if you're not, if you can't donate financially, um, there is just purely with your time and through your breath or whatever whatever is at your tool belt. Um, you know, it's not in our culture at all to to ask for help um and so that could be really strange to say okay so i need some help like even in the moment when you're being attacked to scream out and to say can you help me um and to lean on someone else um or to turn to someone else for help um whether that be the um the Asian American Advancing Justice, Stop API 8, or National Council of Asia Pacific, you know, there's all these places that you can go, but also turning to yourself and saying, okay, so what can I do better? Is there, did this bring up something in me, such as what we've been talking about, um, you know, these emotions and repressed traumas that we haven't, we haven't been able to, that have been surfacing and we haven't been able to address. Um, I'm as a breathwork facilitator, I do want to let you know that there are a lot of ways that you can also process and deal with these things on your own as well. If you are strong enough to turn to to tools such as breathwork, hypnotherapy, psychotherapy, um, these all specifically deal with PTSD and past life regression, traumas, micro traumas. And these are all self-help ways to empower yourself and move through stuckness, um, repressed and unprocessed emotions that ultimately we all carry. Um, and, you know, coming up with... <laughs> you know, being accused or being in the situation where, you know, oh, you're not, perhaps you're not doing enough or perhaps you should look at yourself. And, and, you know, there's a lot of comments even that the community starts to throw at me or to any of us when we start to speak out. Um, but to know that you are enough and that you can, you are doing enough and that, um, that you do have the tools at hand um, to be able to work through all these things, you know, is extremely self-empowering. And um, and I just want to offer that to all of you as well. I'm done speaking. Liv, I'd like to piggyback on something that you're talking about, about, you know, the uncomfortable conversations. And I will say that I myself, being half Filipino, um, I've had uncomfortable conversations with my father who came here to Los Angeles in the 70s and his whole family um, came here and I feel like they really easily just kind of, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional, but um, fell in line to the whole model minority box and it almost feels like there was shame from where they came from. And, like, they just wanted so badly to be American or to fit in with the Caucasian community that they lost a lot of their own identity and passing on a lot of their culture. And my cousin, my cousins and I talk all the time about 
why does it feel like they're not proud of where they came from or why will they so proudly say that they are first and foremost American and I think it's because when they came here they were just forced to and when I talk to my dad or my my titas about you know how do you feel about all this stuff going on and it it almost feels like they're trying to suppress the things that are happening around them and what's great about this generation and and all of the resources that we have is that we can find support and we can um, educate one another and empower one another but I also feel like we need to empower the generation before us who is afraid to even see what's going on and um, unknowingly and or maybe knowingly but um, I think that's something that I've dealt with was just you know my identity crisis of um how how do I feel supported? How do I give support? And um, how do I proudly wave my my Filipino flag? Um, yeah, I just I feel like uh, that's something that I don't know if anyone else can relate to, but that's just where I'm at. Erin, I feel like I'm hearing that. Yes, sorry. Go ahead, Christina. Or is it Allie? Sorry. No, it was me. I, I just wanted okay. to say, Aaron, thank you for sharing that. Um, I mean, I obviously relate because I'm also Filipino, and I, my parents um, came here in the late '80s, um, and so badly wanted to assimilate um, in New York that I like, I didn't grow up learning the language. Like, I don't know how to speak Tagalog, and it's like something that really tears at me, or even their own dialect, um, which is Bicol, and I, I feel like that loss of culture like I think about it a lot especially as I grow older and think about having my own kids and like knowing that I can't pass on that language to them I mean I could always learn but it's very different from you know when you are a kid and um, growing up and being able to speak the tongue natively um, yeah I, I, I still relate with what you're saying about you know parents coming here out of necessity out of need um, because my mom like so many other Filipino women in the 80s was recruited as a nurse um, to because of a this is something I wanted to bring up earlier but this is a, like there was a, a shortage of nurses in the US particularly during the 80s because of, um, of AIDS and just the devastation that that was happening there and so they, they basically got a bunch you know thousands and thousands of nurses and a whole generation of, of people who are now, are like my friends parents to come here um, to be nurses in the to be nurses in the U.S. and um, I don't know. I just I see the uh, just seeing the devastation of COVID as well and how it has disproportionately affected Filipino nurses. Um, you know, it, it's just something that has been weighing heavy on my heart about the way that people come here for opportunity and to be welcomed, but then are also put almost sacrificed or you know put on the front lines of of the systemic issues in this country. Um, I know that just went off a tangent, but thank you for sharing your story and I felt very seen by it. Thank you. Erin and Christina, um, well, Erin, thank you so much for sharing your story. That's, you know, it's really tragic that, you know, we're forced to assimilate and, and in some way lose a part of our culture. I felt like I had the complete opposite experience. My parents immigrated here from Korea in, uh, well, most of my family immigrated here in the 60s. And um, at the time, it was only diplomats that were allowed. I think there was like 15 
um, visas that were given. And so my uncle was a translator for a U.S. sergeant, and he's the one that sponsored my entire family to come over. Um, and they have this sense of pride, and I do think it's, it's, it's understanding their history, which is they just came out of Jap- Japanese imperialism, now they have a civil war, and now there's foreign powers that are dictating their country, making them feel like second-class citizens in their own country. So they're actually very proud of their culture, which I also find to be a bit problematic, because if you're talking about being pride of your of your culture or your race, it's a form of nationalism that could be dangerous. And, you know, I think that falls in line of, like, the hierarchy of a problematic idea that, like, one Asian race is better than another because you're proud, or, you know, the anti-blackness that exists in Asian communities here in the U.S. I really do feel like it's, you know, and I've had these tough conversations, whether they're micro aggressions or like snide comments that it's absolutely wrong and I do think that it starts with not only empathy but taking the time to have those really difficult conversations with your parents um and I just do think that it just changing one person's opinion and and helping them understand why it's wrong is extremely important I would love to hop in um if that's okay Candace is okay oh of course Nadia after you Okay, awesome. No, I just wanted to chime in with, um, you know, kind of a different perspective. Like, I completely agree, and I think that one of the things I've really been grappling with, like, honestly, in the last year has been trying to figure out and also get over my own imposter syndrome of feeling like, is there a place for me? And almost this question of, am I allowed to participate in these very real and necessary conversations around racial justice for API. And I think a lot of that is around, you know, growing up and feeling like I, it was not appropriate for me to talk about the discrimination I faced because, you know, I grew up being very teased for, you know, guys thinking I was like, like fetishized me or, you know, people making fun of me for being good at math and things that in some ways could be flipped and being like, okay, well, they're not saying something necessarily like obviously bad in the same way I think that other marginalized communities have to face. But at the same time, like I hear a lot of the stories that are being shared right now and it's so powerful. But one of the issues that I have with Um, or or not issues, but like struggles that I have with trying to find my own identity and understanding of like what it means to be Asian American is that it's not a term that I feel like I understand. And, you know, there truly are so many different ethnicities lumped under this one label, but also at the same time, so many different experiences, right? And like, I'm half Japanese and half Chinese, and I grew up with a lot of interracial racism like my japanese grandmother used to tell us to wash the dirty chinese off our hands like before we ate dinner and it you know my taiwanese grandparents grew up in uh taiwan when it was occupied by japan and had their own thoughts about it and so there was a lot of sort of uh trash talking in within that but then also because I, I have complex PTSD from a lot of abuse that I endured from uh, my father's side, I lost contact with that whole side of the family. And for other family issues, I also lost contact with my whole maternal side of the family. So my family is like me, my mom, and my two younger sisters. 
I don't speak another language. I can't name like a holiday. And when I started, you know, trying to join the sort of affinity groups in middle school and high school, oftentimes it was other the, the few other East Asian kids in my school in Portland, Oregon, which is by the way the whitest major city in the United States, who made me feel very unwelcome, right? And said that I wasn't a real Asian, Asian that I was a banana, right? Like yellow on the outside, white on the inside. And I think that over the last year, I've felt that, but also in the context of not wanting to take up space in the movement around racial justice, which is so necessary, because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to understand like, wh when is it also time for me to step away and create space for those who have direct links to a lot of the, um, you know, to Japanese internment or an understanding of having immigrant parents. And I have an immigrant parent, but because of child abuse, I don't have, I don't have connection with him for the last few years. So I feel like I just wanted to kind of share that because I think that that's one of the hardest things that I've, I've felt in the last, like, especially in the last week is just this, like, one this weight being lifted off my shoulders like yes i'm i'm so ready to talk about this like i just made a post on instagram talking about all of this racism i experienced growing up but i never felt like i could share because of these reasons that i didn't know where i fit and like i ran for office when i was 19 and accidentally became the youngest asian american to run for office in the u.s and i got a lot of death threats i've gotten so many death threats in the last week from it um like i've been like the campaign was named the start of an asian invasion by like breitbart like so much and i remember just being so confused and having crippling imposter syndrome because i was being looked at like look at the future of young asian america and i'd be asked like what does this mean to you and i'd be so honest and be like i don't know what it means like i've i've always sort of been confused about you know what the actual identity of being asian american means i know that there are comments i know we can relate off of these comments i'm interested in the history but i'm still figuring it out what figuring out what it means and it's truly so many cultures backgrounds experiences and languages under this one bucket that i don't think i've experienced knowing what that actually means from a cultural perspective right and i've done this these media interviews um where i've interviewed other incredible asian women especially in the, on the politics side and i've asked what does it mean to you to be asian american like what is the cultural identity of being asian american and the most common answer i got was i don't know i don't oftentimes it was i i don't identify as asian american i identify as chinese american i identify as japanese american and I think that I just kind of want to bring that in the conversation because I'm so inspired by all of the stories that are being told here. And yet it really brings up this feeling of like, wow, there's so much that I don't know about my culture. And it's really like, I'm, it, it's, it's really hard because I'm, especially in this time, I want to know more and I don't have that access, but yet from the outside and from my career, I have that pressure to really figure out what that means for me. Um, I don't really know where I was going with this. I'm sorry if I'm ranting. <laughs> it's, just, it's just reflections. Hey, girl. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're all it's good. So amazing, <laughs> um, I just want to say, oh I, <laughs> I just want to say, Nadia, you are enough. You are more than enough. Um, even if you are just figuring all this out, aren't we all? Um, you know, this whole conversation of identity and who we are it is an ongoing discovery and it changes every single day and and you know just being 
in your position and admitting to that is is huge. Um, we're never going to be someone else. And so the more that we just strive to be the better version of ourselves, that's that's really all that we can do. Um, you know, it's it's funny because activism, it just it just purely starts with one. And if someone will listen, that's great. But it's really how we carry in our how we carry ourselves in that moment and that is the that is the activism in itself and how we view our identity and what we believe in ourselves and how we present ourselves that is that is really what the message is so you don't need to worry about not having the full answer and the whole story and still being in self-discovery or discovery mode all the time um it those answers will come to you as they will and you will be able to deal with all those things as they approach you um so yes you are enough nadia and to note on that too live is what should make us all feel a little bit more comforted in this time of political and social and cultural just chaos is first and foremost, this has happened before it will happen again. And it should bring you some sort of peace in your heart, knowing that we are part of a continuation. We are a part of history and we are making history in this moment And Nadia, I totally get it. I mean, I'm a Japanese daughter by a a Japanese mother from Japan, and my father is an immigrant from Poland. So, Aaron, when you cried, I cried. I feel every vibration from each of you. I don't know what Asian American even means. All I know is that it means that we unify now and we don't follow what our ancestors did, which was talk trash about other Asian cultures. Mm-hmm. We unify and we start saying we are all one. And it's just like we have to follow, as we have said in this conversation, what our Black Lives Matter friends have done and respect what they have created, which is coming together, educating with love and grace and education and empathy and compassion for one another. because. As far as I know, growing up Asian American, I was ashamed of it. I didn't want to be Asian. I was teased for it. I was called a chink. My sister was called a flat face. I can't tell you half of the stories that happened through grade school, through junior high and high school. And it wasn't until I went to Long Beach State and I saw other girls that looked like me that I started to realize how special and beautiful and honorable it was to be Asian. So, you know, I commend each of you for sharing these extremely hard stories. And I actually very much love and appreciate that we all have such a different upbringing. Um, Sorry for going on for so long. Lo Song and Justice, thank you for being so patient. We are going to bring you. Oh, Jamie, after you. After you. Before we we move on to the next questions, um, Nadia, you mentioned that you're from Oregon. I just want to spew a little historical fact because I think it's important to shine a light on some of our shameful laws that we had in the United States. Um, The reason why the Pacific Northwest is quite white is because there was lash laws put into place in 1844 and repealed in 1926. What that meant was, because my my family member is a historian, and she explained this to me, that if you are, in order to keep blacks out of their state, they 
put into law saying that you had to be lashed every year if you wanted to live in that state. So that's that that explains why it's so white. I'm done speaking. Wow. Totally mind-blowing facts, Jamie. Losong and Justice, you are both up. Thank you for being so patient and welcome. And how can we help? Hi, everyone. Um, can I ask if uh, Justice could go first? I just have uh, somebody at the door. Absolutely. Justice after you. Thank you. No problem. Um, I just want to say thank you to the uh, moderators and uh, the powerful women who are holding uh, this platform. Um, I just wanted to uh, reiterate, you know, the the black community has always been beside the AAPI community. Um, Frederick Douglass was one of the first individuals to call out the, um, the, uh, the United States of America from trying to I would say not let Chinese and Japanese um, individuals come into America. In his 1869 speech in Boston, he challenged uh, most of the social observers and politicians by advocating for the acceptance of Chinese immigrants. Um, And also uh, Steve Aoki, who a lot of people may not know of, was the first ever Japanese American to be um, I would say, beholded in leadership of the Black Panther Party under um, most of the Black Panthers. And he died, of course, um, in an assassination attempt by the U.S. government. But Steve Aoki was a part of the Rainbow Coalition um, under a lot of other Black Panther leadership. Um, So saying that is to say this, um, I run a a nonprofit organization in Orange County, and we just recently hosted a visual and a rally um, in um, Garden Grove. If, if anybody is familiar with Orange County, Garden Grove is a, is a huge um, Vietnamese and Korean district, along with Westminster. Um, and we are now going to host another visual and rally um, in Irvine, California. If anybody knows of Irvine, California, Irvine, California is a huge um, AAPI community. Um, and the Asian community has always accepted me uh, growing up in San Jose. I know, I think Erin was stating that she's from Fremont. I grew up in San Jose, California, um, a, a really, really huge AAPI community. Um, I'm a secular Buddhist. Um, I became a Buddhist three years ago. Um, and when I was going through my troubles and live, I, I can um, piggyback on breath work. I, I've been meditating since I've been 16 years old. And most of my close friends are, um, um, are, are of Asian descent. Um, my mentor is of Asian descent. Um, the person that led me into uh, Zazen um, meditation when I went to Japan. Um, so I've always been accepted by the Asian community and I cannot just stand by and watch my Asian brothers and sisters go through suffering um, as a, a motivational speaker, as a leader in my community and as somebody who has pledged to alleviate the suffering of all sentient beings. Um, I have to make sure I advocate for these issues and if anybody in this room um, feels though they, they don't have a voice or feels though um, they can't speak on these issues. Um, 
like my other uh, comrade said, you know, educate yourself. It goes through motivation, right? Once we motivate each other, like we're doing in this room, then it goes to educating one another, right? And once we educate one another, then it goes to demonstrating, right? Demonstrating, which means going out there, hosting rallies like my organization is doing right now. Even though we're Black-led, we're still educating one another. We're still holding these forms for individuals who may not have these forms, right? And then after demonstrating, it's legislating, right? Motivating to educating to demonstrating to legislating. And I think that's where most of our millennial generations fall back on is how to legislate right how to make these policies change how to turn this motivation into legislation and i say to you today if anybody in the room who does not know how to just look at the possibilities of the black panther party with steve aoki right look at the possibilities of frederick Douglass and how he spoke out right look at these individuals in our communities and don't be afraid to speak out if you do not know. You can always ask and you can always volunteer. And um, I just want to uplift uh, most of the AAPI um, queens in this room. And I really appreciate every single one of you. And I don't want to take too much time, but I, just, I, I also want to say, if you're ever in Orange County, we need all the help we can. Um, I just created this nonprofit last year in the midst of so much racial upheaval. And I've seen so many AAPI brothers and sisters out there on the front lines for the black community. And, and, and it made me so emotional to hold this vigil and, and, um, and this rally just two days ago and not seeing most of my black brothers and sisters out there when the AAPI community have, they, they've, been, they've been out here ever since um, the uprisings of last year. So if there's any other um, black and brown sisters and brothers in this room, please, if anybody is suffering, we have to be there to alleviate that. And, um, thank you so much, Justice. Thank, thank you, Justice. Thank you. That was beautiful. We stand thank behind you. Thank you. For sure. One quick thing I'll say is that it's Richard Aoki. Not to be confused with Steve Aoki, who's a great musician, but uh, I actually had the distinct honor and privilege of performing spoken word at his memorial after he passed. And that, you know, that was a long side opera, the Asian American political alliance. And so for folks that don't know that history coming from UC Berkeley and SF State, you know, the black community organizing for black studies for, you know, third world liberation. That's what we used to call it, third world, TWLF, third world liberation front. You know, that was a part of the civil rights movement and branches of the free speech movement that come from UC Berkeley and San Francisco State. So it was a huge honor to do that. And, you know, I've had the privilege of meeting Bobby Seale, who's still a living um, Black Panther today, and meeting Yogi uh, Kushiyama twice in my life. So we know, like, our Asian American communities have been organizing side by side with black communities for such a long time. And it's important for us when we say Black Lives Matter, it's, you know, Asians for black lives, it's Filipinx for black lives. I've been a part of those groups um, as well. And, and I do want to know, you know, it is a new administration. We do have a vice president that is both black and Asian American. I think people forget that a lot of the time. And, you know, it's really important that we hold elected officials accountable, just like Justice was saying at the local, you know, state, federal level. Someone like Nadia, who is young as she is and as involved I was in politics before in my career, because I, I worked for 
Congressman Ro Khanna and the, uh, at the time he was the former Deputy U.S. Secretary of Commerce and the founder of Tech for Obama. So a lot of these folks, you know, have been doing movement building on the ground. When I was on the Obama campaign, I had the opportunity to meet Congressman, uh, the very late uh, John Lewis, who was a part of, you know, like the civil rights movement and, and marched with Dr. King. And so, you know, our movements are tied together. And when I think about uh, black liberation, I think about Filipino, uh, Filipinax American communities being very connected to that. And, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, that history. Our, our Filipinos were called Negritos in, in the Philippines. So a lot of, you know, and there is anti-blackness in our communities. There is colonial mentality. I do want to acknowledge that and, and colorism and all of these different issues. But that's why it's so important for us to speak out. And the last thing I'll say about Richard Ayoki the one thing that he always told us, and it's just a quote, I know it's somewhere on my Instagram, is you want to maximize similarity, minimize difference. That's not to say we don't celebrate our, our distinctions and then the uniqueness of each of our ethnic Asian American Pacific Islander or African and black communities. It's that we are all human beings. You know, people have been also framing this issue as a human rights issue and asking about, well, what about, you know, folks that are at are being discriminated throughout the world and the diaspora like there's so many issues that are coming out um of this movement um but i just wanted to affirm all of the work that justice has been doing and that you know long before there was a hashtag black lives matter i've been organizing for undocumented communities whether or not they were filipino or asian american it doesn't matter we're all human beings and we all have human rights and so um thank you so much for the space and time but i just wanted to plus one on everything that justice said and, and it's richard aoki not steve aoki but steve aoki is also great I just want to say thank you again, Aaron. Um, it is Richard Aoki, and to piggyback on what Aaron said, it, it is a human rights issue, and in order to fight white supremacy, we all have to come together because minorities make America. If they really looked at the demographics, minorities are the majority, right? And that's what they're afraid of. And, and in order to understand that, we have to educate one another, we have to demonstrate, and then we have to pass legislation in order to fight white supremacy because it is white supremacy that we're fighting. So thank you, Aaron. Yes, thank you. Lo Song, after you. Thank you, Justice and Aaron. Hello, everyone. Um, <clears throat> what an interesting discussion, and thank you for creating this space. My first time in this particular room. Uh, Justice, I cannot agree more with uh, your your comments, and I especially appreciate your um, your quote of the, the His Holiness the Dalai Lama: "Pain is inevitable, suffering is optional." Um, I've had the great honor of meeting him uh, on several occasions. I'm a Tibetan by heritage. I probably come from one of the smallest Asian communities in North America, uh, and one that has um, really only been in North America since the, about the late 60s, early 1970s. So our history is very different. And I think that's one of the points I want to make is um, I do speak Tibetan. I grew up completely immersed in that culture, um, thanks to my parents' very meticulous um, efforts. And I think uh, to Nadia's comments about wanting to know more about your cultural roots. I, I really admire that um, that drive. I think it's really important. It, it has helped me so much. It's not something I achieved. It's something my parents uh, gifted me. Um, and it has helped me so much to navigate a dual identity in a very hybridized, <laughs> increasingly uh, diversified world. Um, so I, I think uh, on that point, um, uh, extrapolating from there, it's really important, I think, 
not to kind of bunch all Asian people and cultures into one group as well. We absolutely share common struggles, um, especially given the horrible tragedies happening uh, in a heightened way right now. Um, and at the same time, just as diversity is, Amer- is important in America and, and in the world in general, diversity among our communities also needs to be understood, seen, and respected. And I think it will only make us um, all stronger the, the more aware we are of each other's different cultures. And I know that's a huge lifelong task. Uh, I'm on a permanent learning curve on that point. Um, but it's, it's very important, um, I think, uh, coming from such a small, tiny group of um, people, I, I, I know what it feels like to, be, to feel like a minority within a minority group. Um, my sister and I co-founded a nonprofit called Machik, and we do um, peace and reconciliation work in probably what's one of the hardest, um, most challenging places in the world to work, and one of the most remote places, which is Tibet, especially in the rural um, mountain communities. Um, but I grew up in Canada, where um, in a small town, uh, where I have met some of the most wonderful people in, I've ever met in my life, but also encountered a lot of racism. Uh, it's something I grew up with uh, from the first day of kindergarten. So it made us tougher and also realized as working class people how absolutely intersectional this kind of oppression is, race, gender, class. Um, and again, being a minority within a minority. Um, and even though uh, we experience all this, I, I still... Um, uh, Thanks to the kind of, I guess, the, the values I was raised with, I really think it's an important time, <clears throat> with, even in this context of such suffering and unfairness, um, to try and connect to all other um, uh, forms of racism and, op- and oppression. Um, I'm probably one of the older people in, the, in this room. Um, I'm in my 50s, uh, and I've been um, you know, working for social justice my entire life, adult life anyway, and um, very often when I'm in a, um, uh, a protest or a um, planning meeting for indigenous rights or conservation or uh, anti-racism or gender work, I'm almost always one of a very tiny handful of Asian people or often the only one. So um, this is, uh, it is changing with the new generation, which is so wonderful to see. I think it's Justice's generation. Um, and, I, and I know there are many, many reasons why um, this has come about. But I, I really think it's important now more than ever um, at, with this heightened awareness, everybody is actually paying attention collectively um, in, a, in a broader collective way. So it's, I think it's an especially important time to get to the place where we um, see the fundamental dignity and value of, of all people and when, when uh, you know, racially motivated murders happen in another community that's not ours, we are equally uh, concerned, equally saddened and outraged and willing to take action. Um, I think we have, uh, as an as a Asian community or communities, I think we have that capacity. I think we have the capacity for that kind of empathy and willingness to, to make um, the right kind of sacrifices to show up for, for others. It's only when we're, when we're in complete solidarity like this that we're actually going to see um, lasting change happen. Thank you, everyone. Wow, that was beautiful. Thank you so much, Losang, and we absolutely love that you spoke from the heart, and Tibet is a magical place where His Holiness has been a light for so many of us in in this time of darkness. 
we are humbled definitely by your words, Lo Sing. So thank you so much for sharing that. And um, please, if anyone here is interested, click the profiles of the speakers and as well as those coming on stage. Um, we are all here to connect and support each other. Um, I'm going to go next to our next um, speaker who's joined the room, Johanna, Katie, and then Teddy, and then Alexandra. First of all, thank you so much, everyone. Um, my name is Joanna, and um, I am second-generation immigrant in the U.S. I was actually born and raised in the Philippines, and um, I am... My voice is fading because I don't know. I have been holding this for, I guess, for a while. I still don't know um, how I had to navigate the latest news. I don't really like listen to the news anymore just because of all these things. And it's been hard for me to um, navigate um, being a healthcare worker since the pandemic for it's been a year now it's been like everything suddenly stopped and changed being in the healthcare field i did not really stop working i work in the hospital day in and day out so i had to like maintain that composure of you know being you know the person that i am to take care of my patients while having my own family and being affected by all these things i still could not imagine how I've been able to navigate this and finally having this community here it's like I finally found something or somewhere that I can be myself without even having to think of how should I show up because it's been so hard um I I am also a yoga teacher and I am a big proponent for self-care and having this space to really just talk and sometimes I feel that that's all we really need at that moment being a, a physical therapist working with patients all day long I find that a lot of our patients struggle really is just to have somebody talk to them you know like listen to obviously they have pain or whatever they are in there for they have that struggle but a lot of it is a connection that we as you know human beings and being a caregiver for them in that space and time i really appreciate that we have this space right now to talk about it because i don't know this pandemic has really aggravated all the things and all the issues that we are trying to navigate and you the moderators here i admire you all so much and i thank you so much for having this voice for for us asians and having uh, us here to allow whatever that we are feeling right now even though we don't really know how to navigate it and it's so hard to articulate everything that i've been feeling for the past year and just finding this group and seeing all the work that you do makes me so inspired and like just like i am like finally able to like release that breath and i know this will need a lot of integration finally being able to speak here um so I just want to thank you and I really admire all of you and I am so happy that I found all of you, my Asian sisters and brothers. Um, 
thank you for the work that you do. Um, you have no idea how much you have inspired me. And I'm Joanna, and I'm done speaking. Joanna, that's incredible that you could come out here and share that with us. Thank you for um, sharing your voice. And I'm just so sorry that, you know, you've had to deal with this on your own and have not been able to, um, you know, process everything that's been going on. It is completely overwhelming. And, you know, you know, resources are at hand, um, and I'm sure you know, and I'm sure you've been bringing all your magic tools um, out um, to try to to help um, not just yourself, but just keep your your golden bubble around you of protection um, and safety. And thank you for helping the community and continuing in your in your career to help others. You know, sometimes helping others it also requires us to continuously help ourselves too so please um at any time do reach out um we're going to put a list of resources we're listening to everybody here and we're gonna we're writing them down and we're gonna put them online um candice is putting together a blog um so it's just candicekumai.com she's putting a, a list together of of collecting what you guys have said here today and and putting things um in one place so that's an easy resource to to go find it but thank you johanna for that and thank you for all the work that you do katie i think you're next hi um my name is katie and i'd just like to thank everyone for creating this space and you are all such an inspiration to me and just seeing asian women on the stage is actually very special to me because I was actually adopted. I'm a Chinese-born adoptee um, with my twin sister from 1997. And especially in these past few weeks, we've both been struggling a lot for wondering if we belong at this table, if we belong having a chance to be part of the conversation and what it kind of means lately. Like, what does it mean when the faces we see of white terrorism are the faces of my mom and dad, who I, like, love dearly or how what it feels like to be hypersexualized and fetishized by my own family members since like puberty and like what does it mean in terms of when my parents have this innate privilege that since coming of age and moving to New York I realized that I don't embody and how can we as other adoptees have these conversations um, and feel like we also belong and that we are enough to have a place at the table and to be able to voice what we're saying and as well just to be able to comfort our own parents. My mom, she hasn't slept like all week because she's both scared for um, my sister and I's safety, but also because she doesn't know how to help us because she is not Asian, she's white. Um, I grew up in a very small Irish Catholic community um, and it's just been very difficult to feel that there is a way to communicate this but I wanted to come up here unlike in other rooms because yesterday I went to the New York City rally and was speaking with um, Yulene yesterday and she told me about how she knows about adoption and it just made me feel heard and worthy and the rally itself was just so inspirational and I've never been around so many not only Asian people but such a diverse mesh of Asian people and all their various backgrounds in my entire life and I just wanted to bring some representation for those also adopted from Asia. Um, this is Katie and I'm done now. 
Go ahead, Teddy. Thank you for um, giving me the opportunity to speak and to share. My name's Teddy. I'm Chinese-American, uh, married to a Korean woman. I'm 63 years old and uh, grew up really poor, kids of immigrants. My parents traded mental health and emotional health for a chance for financial security. And I've been paying the price my entire life. And um, it's really hard to make this pact to be agree to be exceptional, to pursue an exceptional path where if you make this deal with the devil, everything will happen to everybody else except for you, that you get a seat at the table and get to eat scraps. And uh, so I lived my life. I've enjoyed a great life on the outside, but I was so not prepared to be a person, a human, to understand my personal identity. Everywhere I went, I felt alone. And it was only after I um, discovered my Asian roots where I felt I achieved some salvation. I found a family. Um, I'm a member of a black church. And that was another way for me to experience some wholeness. And my, I'm of the generation that swallowed everything and suffered and toughed it out. And I was placated by, uh, by uh, financial status and education. And I'm here saying that I've learned so much over the last 15 years from my brothers and sisters. And I have to speak the truth about what I've learned from the black community, that the establishment only wants to divide and conquer, that being the model minority only um, plays into white supremacy. And the we together has to include other Asians, other minorities, African-Americans, Latinos. And um, I just am so overwhelmed by the fact that this country has hit rock bottom. And I personally had gone through a rock bottom and can say that in order for real change to happen, sometimes it takes going through hitting the bottom. And I am so encouraged seeing rooms like this, seeing this next generation unite together and feel legitimately worthy to stand up and stand together and to fight back. And I'm really encouraged by all of you. And I appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, I'm Teddy and I'm done speaking. Teddy, my heart goes out to you. Um, thank you for connecting with us here. And I'm sorry to hear everything um, truly from, from my heart to yours. Um, I just, uh, it's funny, I just watched, um, maybe you guys have watched it, The Joy Luck Club. Um, and ultimately, it is a story about a woman supporting other women. Um, this one lady in particular to go back to to China to meet her adopted, her adopted, uh, sorry, not her adopted, her, her sisters who her mother had to abandon um, during the wartime. So that kind of also ties into Katie's um, adopted story as well. Um, but 
you know, with, with, with coronavirus, and I'm sure a lot of us have not been able to connect to our families and to be, na- and be able to see them. Um, but, you know, with things changing now, you know, do be inspired um, to continue to connect to your families and to connect to your heritage and to visit and to go home um, and to be able to um, just just bridge the gap in some way. Um, if I, I truly miss Asia, um, I truly love love my family. Um, being mixed as well, being Italian, um, Taiwanese, you know, it's, it's, it's often hard to be considered Chinese when I'm, when, when, and look foreigner when, when I'm not true, not any of that. Um, so constantly having to explain myself and constantly having to say, you know, explain, oh, why is your English so good? Or, you know, it's silly comments like these that are also, um, racist remarks and there are remarks that 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 should not um should not be asked at all um so i do want to encourage everyone here should the time come or should the should there be calling to you to to do reach out to your family and to um make those connections deeper and and see if that can help to heal any of your wounds and to to make any um make anything feel better for you Alexandra, I think you're next. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's come up on stage here. Like, I'm getting emotional as well listening to this. Um, I actually work with Aya. Aya, thanks for having me up as well. Um, I'm our creator inclusion lead at Pinterest. And this is such an incredible conversation that you're all having. Um, you know, I, I, I love everything that's going on in this room. I, I identify as a member of the black community and I just want to echo, you know, what justice has said, what everybody has said on this panel. We are here with you. We see you. We are pulling up. This is all of us coming together. It's so important that we unify and we stand by one another during this time. It's, it's it's so hard and I'm getting emotional because I've gone through this. We went through this in the last year and beyond. Um, and what I really wanted to emphasize here, I've been taking notes. I'm doing a whole podcast on this and I will say slide into my DMs if you have comments or feedback that you want to share. I'm going to be talking about this as much as I possibly can. But I know for me, one of the most important things um, was to make sure that I was putting my mental health and my mental wellness above everything at least periodically in these moments i i just you get so tired and i can only imagine that it's been so hard and so emotional um we've had really great comments like live you open this room with like an amazing grounding and breath work getting outside exercising deleting social media i heard people doing really just taking that time for your mental health i wanted to reiterate because i know there are so many people here and I know that, you know, my friends in the Asian American community talk about that there's a lot of shame tied with being vulnerable with your mental health. But please take that time for yourself and make it a priority because this is work and it's hard and it's tiring. So thank you so much. That's all I wanted to say. I appreciate all of you being here and doing this work. I know that it's exhausting. So thank you. I, I just want to add on really quick to uh, what Alexandra just said. Um, getting your mental health in order is key. 
um, as she mentioned, I mean, honestly, a lot of the things that everybody has said, especially <clears throat> the people who have just raised their hands, like, I can relate to a lot of it. And I'm, it's, it's so amazing to hear people share and be so open with how they feel. Um, just a side note, living in Singapore um, and listening to Asians who live in Asia, as opposed to listening to Asian Americans and their experience and how it differs. It's, it's so different, the way that they both view things, but it's all grounded in the same um, foundation. So, you know, what Liv mentioned to really reach out um, to your family that, you know, lives, you know, in Asia and connect. It's so important to get that perspective because it, will, it would really surprise you. Um, but back to what uh, Alexandra just said about mental health, I was wrecked for like me, like a long time. And it, what, ha- what we saw last year, I, it took me back to my schooling days. It took me back to like uh, just a lot of just different instances of, of racism. I was born in Canada. Um, but I grew up in Arizona. Arizona was one of the last states to, uh, you know, say that Martin Luther King uh, was a holiday. So, or Martin Luther King Day was a holiday. So there's, I'll just leave that there with what I've had to deal with um, in Arizona. Um, but getting, like going and seeing somebody, like talking to your friends is great. Building a community is amazing, but sometimes you have a high level of baggage that you just cannot unpack with your girlfriends like there's just not enough wine um to 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 dig through some of the things that you may be feeling um and i i didn't realize the trauma that i had from like just consistent consistently dealing with racism as a kid i didn't realize how much i needed to unpack until i watched you know everything that happened in the u.s uh last may and june um, so it's really important to just, if you, if you have the resources um, and you have the time to just invest in your mental health, whether it's doing things like Talkspace where it's digital or if you can see somebody, um, you know, in your area. I, for me, I know it was important just because of my perspective. I would, I preferred to go and see uh, black therapists. Uh, I was having a chat with Liv uh, a few days ago and I just typed in, um, Asian therapists and psychologists in California. There's loads. So if you are in a space where you know you feel like you need to talk to somebody and you want them to kind of have you know an, an understanding potentially of where you, of where you are and where you're coming from, I highly highly suggest you invest in your mental health. It's so important to really do that. So I'll just I'll leave that there. Um, I'm done speaking. Thank you, Shaw. I just wanted to open now to perhaps any of the moderators who haven't been able to speak so much. Um, Shanina, Aaron, Ali, um, Jamie, Aya, anyone else who wants to speak, you're, you're welcome to take the floor. Um, I want to add something that I thought was, um, that I thought everyone should know, and I looked it up today. Um, I saw that the increase of hate crimes towards Asians have increased about 150%, which is crazy, from 2019 to 2020. Um, It's really, really hard to be 
to be in the USA and see so much hate, but also when these hate crimes do happen, there is no punishment for the crimes. And I think that's where, that's just why we're here. And this is why we're dealing with this. And this is where it connects with the Black Lives Matter movement as well. Um, it's like hard to read. But um, no, it's just really, really important for mental health and for everyone to be together, support one another, um, but also have those conversations, not just with the Asian community, the black, the minorities, it's with the majorities. And the majorities need to have a voice and stand up for all of us, because I think that's where we're going to see the change as well, because it just keeps happening. And it's really, really hard. I'm like, again, I'm here because I come from uh, an Asian background too. My stepmom is Asian. My little brother's they're Asian as well and they get bullied at school because of how they look for being different um, a stereotype as well you know um, and I think we, it's really important to change the stereotypes for Asians as well um, but um, it's really really beautiful to see everyone coming together um, standing up for one another but um, I think going forward it's really important to for the majorities to stand with the minorities um, to create the change. One quick announcement. I know that the mods all wanted to like lead or close. I wasn't sure what time this event ended, but um, if you are an Asian American like business owner or business leader in the community, any of the mods are totally welcome. Uh, I got asked to speak for the Stand with Asians event. Um, if you look at their website, it's standwithasians.com. Uh, we're doing a 12-hour stream of this uh, March 26th, I think that's a Saturday. If you would like a thought spot to speak, please DM me. I'm working directly with the organizers um, as a part of the uh, Asian Leaders Alliance, which I mentioned earlier, so, you know, all the tech corporate uh, employee resource groups. So for me, I'm representing um, the Filipino community. If you're an influencer, and if you have a cause anywhere locally that's Asian American and you need some spotlight you know on you or even if you don't have a big following on instagram or anything like that um i try to yield my time whenever i speak because i speak at so many events i use my voice frequently on clubhouse but if you just feel like i need to scream or yell my cause but like no one's giving me that space to speak please dm me um and i'll probably send some of the links to candace uh, i know that folks mentioned a bunch of them earlier there's actually quite a few it's it's um really overwhelming with all the resources and links to donate some stuff goes directly to atlanta not everything does, so that's just FYI, but um, I'm going to be sending everything to Candace, and please feel free to reach out to me. Thank you. I'm Erin Jerry, and I'm done speaking. Thank you, Erin. And for all of you in the room, if there are resources, recommendations of movies or books or documentaries or any journalism that is outstanding that you feel that needs to be heard and seen, please DM me and I will add it to our resource list. Um, and I will put it in the link in my bio on Instagram. Eventually, we will all um, have a conversation in this room about how we can continue our love for one another and supporting all of you as well. And also, we wanted, Liv and I really wanted to make sure that everybody here who's moderating had a chance to speak. So, Aya and Christina, did anything come up for either of you or Allie, um, Aaron, Jamie. And if not, <laughs> we can move on to questions, of course. 
Um, Sorry, my my internet connection. Oh, after you. (laughs) A little bit spicy, um, but I have to say, um, as someone who has never been off mute on um, Clubhouse, this has been such an inspiring Oh no, I think her connection's going. Aya, if you get better service, chime in again. Where did you go? Formative and certainly the start of something um, and the beginning of something that I think that all of us can really look forward to a future of working together. Yeah, one question that I thought for Christina and Aya that might be really informative and Aaron as well is uh, how you can change the way that media portrays violence towards Asians and Asian Americans and or also how we can fight the stigma of the objectifying and sexualization of Asian women in this country. I think what is most important is just having people in the room, you know, like myself, like Aya, like Erin, like the people who could, who are decision makers, um, because too often I see a lot of people of color and not just Asian people end up in, you know, um, either entry level or like mid-level positions and not really being able to really like lead the charge in terms of vision and direction so it's it's really about just if you have if you have the opportunity hiring uh, you know other asian people other asian americans i know that i've always tried to do that myself when i've had the power to do that uh just because they're you know the best person to speak for your community is someone who's part of the community so it's i i don't take that responsibility lightly ever and whether it's you know having input on a model that we choose or having input on the angle of a story or even if i'm interviewing people for a story and i'm looking for experts i'm going to make sure that the you know that the expertise is diverse it's coming from a host of different cultural backgrounds different locations within the states and and all of that it's just all about being mindful and also just creating opportunities if you can create opportunities um, I totally agree, and um, uh, because I am here with my colleague Alex, um, I would say that when we're thinking about the future of media, because all of us need to be looking forward towards the content that we will be making and the types of creators that we will be amplifying, as um, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, digital content, social shared content is not going away; it's only growing, and. If, um, if we as uh, people who work at various different platforms have the opportunity to give those platforms to amplify uh, people from underrepresented groups, I think that that's the greatest uh, kind of contribution that I can make. And I know that it's a big focus of what we're doing on um, in our work at Pinterest. And it is um, certainly the exact focus of what Alex does on our team. And so I think that when we think about what the past of how we see Asian representation in the media, that is one thing. And I, and I certainly um, have my own feelings about that. But all I can do now, or the most useful thing that I can do now is be the place, be in the place where I can bring up the new voices. Yeah, I, 
um, piggyback, piggybacking off of that, I think um, oftentimes, from my own experience, I was comfortable being the one Asian or the one mixed race or the, you know, the 5%, you know, and I think that now I'm so uncomfortable being the only person in the room that looks like me and I and I want to see more representation and I want to feel like I can relate to others on a deeper level, whether it's the space that I work in and beyond. And I have no problem telling my employers or my coworkers or writers on my show hey, can we diversify this story today, this episode today? Can we get some representation in the room? Uh, people uh, who, are, who are writing these stories for us, can, can we just um, change it up? And I think that when we are comfortable being vocal and strong in our convictions, that things will change. Because oftentimes, if you are in a room and it's predominantly... Um, Caucasian, they don't realize that there isn't representation of others there. And so I think that we just have to be um, strong and comfortable um, knowing that we need to have these conversations with our employers. And also just showing up fully as ourselves, unapologetically proud of who we are and our background is it, it, it goes, it goes very far. Like I, I look at like I bring my culture and my you know experiences to everything that I do and even if it doesn't seem like it's directly related and I feel like that in a way is a, an act of defiance just me being loud and um, and uh, very opinionated um, and uh, very aware of the impact that I can have in whatever position I'm in I, I think that that is you know there's power in that hmm. I, uh, I think it's excellent what you guys your girls are saying um, just drawing back to my own experiences um, with my husband during the whole Crazy Rich Asians wave, um, what we saw really was the the Asian individuals and the community coming together to rally behind the movies. These are people that we didn't even kind of, I mean, I wasn't based in LA at the time, so I had no idea that these people existed, that they were in such high-powered, high, um, great positions, you know, whether it be, um, you know, heads of magazines or or producers, um, writers, all of that, um, or even just going down to, to, to social media, to influencers, anyone with a little blog all of a sudden rallied behind us, and that really caused the wave of 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 news to just take take the US by storm and and take the world by storm because all of a sudden we had something to speak about and we had an identity to rally behind and be like this is we are in a position of power and we are in a position where we can help each other out and it was it was someone coming from the outside um, originally and and seeing this i was just in awe and and just completely taken aback by how much how much voice we had and how much it was amplified and i think that everyone here you know they know of this little movie that made it really really far and and we can be really proud about that and so just taking that inspiration and taking it and moving it as a next wave of, of making our voices heard, you know, going back to everyone saying that they are in a position of, of power and influence and we can, you know, make those decisions. There was another moderator that was supposed to be here, Diana Tsui, who was um, 
one of the first to bring up the the Alexei McCammon tweets, and with you know it ultimately she you know it's 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 something that had to be called out, um, and and they lost Kodinas lost so much um, backing and so much finances that they had to they had to they had to relook at their hiring. Um, so you know, just having said that, you know it's 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 we are powerful. And we can do something, even with some, even with, even if we don't think that that we, our little Instagram or our little repost or our little something that we do that seems trivial at the time, um, that it matters. It really does, and that we can continue to to make our voices heard. And and like Justice has his um, megaphone, <laughs> that helps definitely. <laughs> I'm done speaking. And can I just say, if I could take one second. As Aya mentioned, my role at Pinterest is to find and amplify incredible content from underrepresented creators. So if you are a creator, if you're thinking about being a creator, reach out to me. I'm always responding to my DMs. I'm going through them feverishly. So um, we want to bring this work and this content to the platform and beyond because it starts with one platform and it's an evolution. That's a revolution. So reach out. I'm always available and I'm happy to continue this work. Alexandra, to kind of build up on that, I recently got into Pinterest and my team and I have been so obsessed with it because it's actually how I did a lot of initial learning around like Asian American Hollywood throughout the 20th century. Like I got really into like studying like the careers of Anime Wong and um, you know going through like Flower Drum Song and making mood boards and so it truly is such an incredible like space to learn um, that I do think is unlike a lot of other platforms that are like specifically focused only on metrics and engagement, um, but truly just like learning. So uh, it's actually been a huge part of my my own journey around um, embracing my own ethnic identity. Yes, Nadia, thank that. you. <laughs> We did not pay her to say that. <laughs> I'm in Canada. I don't even have Venmo. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. That is so great to hear. And um, I think that, you know, to, to Nadia's point, I think that a real tide is changing in terms of what is the value of how we share and what are we trying to get out of all of these platforms? Because as we all know, there's a new platform to be on every single week it seems and while that is a great and wonderful thing and a, an incredible way for people to be able to share in a lot of different ways um, I think that it's really important for creators to remember that um, that you have to keep a very clear focus on what you are getting out of sharing and contributing content to all of the platforms that you are on because um that is at the end of the day your your time your content every minute of your day is extremely valuable and if you aren't getting out of the platforms that you're on as much as you're putting in then it's a really important thing to reconsider it's been a plus one eye on all of that i lost my voice the first week of clubhouse i was moderating like for five hours straight for five days straight all the different asian rooms because of everything happening in dc so i just want to plus one everyone here is talking about self-care and how important that is take care of yourself when you're on social media 
digital detox when you need to be intentional about all the rooms in clubhouse there's been so many black and asian rooms in clubhouse not all of them are a positive experience so just be very clear with your intentions when you join because sometimes some of the spaces may not be for you and some people just want to vent i like to think i'm very action oriented and so i just want to reiterate like how important this space is as a safe space and you know to any of the rooms that I moderate, they're all safe spaces, and I strongly emphasize good moderation skills, you know, and that's, everyone here is a great moderator, and Nadia, I've seen all over Clubhouse, she does a phenomenal job with everything she's doing, so um, please just remind her for self-care. Please don't be like me and lose your voice like three different times on Clubhouse. Do not do that. Yeah, that was a great point earlier that Shah, you brought up about self-care and also making sure to make time to see a therapist or even if it is just calling your mother or your dad, anybody who is a support system for you. Um, much like all of you, I woke up this morning feeling sick. Um, I felt like I got hit by a truck and I don't even know why. I only had one whiskey last night. It was my partner's birthday. And I was like, dude, I don't get what this is other than that we are all being approach right now to help and to move the direction of this conversation in a positive light. And so I think self-care is number one, sleep, rest, don't overdo it, especially on social or clubhouse and find a really healthy and positive outlet to hold on to. For me, it's working out, it's meditation and it's hanging around with like-minded women like all of you. If you are ever surrounded by people that make you feel less than you are or make you feel uncomfortable, absolutely get yourself out of that situation. And I applaud Aaron for having the, the E-News team be more inclusive. I think that is one of the most beautiful things is our media, because I'm part of it, I want you guys to all know the last book that I wrote was on Japanese wellness and today's show said no thanks twice. And I had been working with them for over a decade. It took me having to pay a publicist to go in and say, Kintsugi wellness is better than Ryan Scott's chicken nachos. And I'm not sure why his chicken nachos are more important than my grandmother's Japanese legacy. But from a family that my parents or my, my mother was raised a um, hundred miles away from Nagasaki where the last atomic bomb in the end of World War II was put to rest and I decided to turn my work into my voice instead of having the Today Show tell me what I can and can't do I said fuck all of you I'm gonna go out and do my thing I fired my agents last year and I, I went to a new agency and I started writing a series for a Japanese news network because they allowed me to do what I want to do so I want to be a voice for each of you to also stand up and say I'm a writer I'm a journalist I'm a creator I'm a marginalized voice that nobody usually gives a fuck about but you know what it's your turn we all take turns in this country being discriminated against, whether we are gay, LGBTQ, black, Hispanic, Latino. I stand beside every person who's been marginalized, and I just want to hear more of their stories. So I've chosen to interview Nagasaki survivors these last two years in a documentary coming out soon versus doing coverage on charcoal lemonade or you know green smoothies it's like let's talk about stuff that actually makes a difference and sparks and evokes 
action and change. Instead of seeing the same boring media out there, and same for Hollywood, I hope that Allie and Jamie are the change that we wish to see out there on the big screen because I think when we see more people that look like us, when we hear more people that share our sediments, that is where we make the systemic change. Um, to piggyback on that, I would say it's extremely important that we spread awareness of programs that will help amplify our voices. Um, as I said before, I am an ambassador for HBO APA Visionaries, and it's giving a platform, the HBO and HBO Max platform, for Asian American creators and, and visionaries to to help tell their story. So I really do think that it's necessary to not only spread the word of these kind of programs that help amplify voices, I think it's also really important to put pressure on other studios and streamers to diversify their writer's room. Um, I think it's important to become the storyteller ourselves and pitch our own stories, like really get involved in the making of of our, of our, of our personal stories, which I think is really important. I'm done speaking. Yeah, and to uh, piggyback off Jamie, I mean, now is really the time where we can create our own content. And I would just encourage everyone here to to tell your own story, whatever that might be. I remember that I was in a general meeting and, you know, I was just saying, I wish there was roles like this. I wish there was roles like this. And I remember she looked at me and she was like, Allie, you're the one to tell these roles. And I was like, me, not me. Like, I could never do that. And she, It was the first time where anyone had been like, no, no, no it's you like you're the one and it was a great reminder to me of like no one else is going to do it for us like we have to go out there tell our stories it's the most authentic way we can do it and you know no one else is going to do it for us so it really gave me the power so i would encourage everyone out there even if you're afraid and you know even talking about everything we're talking about with social media and mental health you know it's scary to talk about this stuff it's it's really scary to tell our stories um but you know i encourage everyone just just to, to do it in whatever way you can. I know it's scary. It's scary for me right now. I think it's scary for a lot of the speakers, but you know, just, just go out there and do it. And I, and I promise you the, the best things will come out of it. Um, and it means a lot to our entire community. So I'm done speaking. What I hear um, is that we are stepping into our power and I am so, so inspired and I love that we are taking our place in the rightful place that we should be in and should have been all along um, so thank you to all the, the, the moderators and everyone who's brought that up and spoken about this um, because we are so powerful and we are so strong we have no idea what's coming um, I just opened up the floor just to one final question one or two we're, we're planning on ending this room at about three o'clock um, so Kendra if you had a question or something you wanted to say please go ahead Hi everyone, thank you so much for the chance to speak. This is also my first time off of mute, so I, uh, I think we're both celebrating that today. Um, thank you just to all the moderators who have shared and spoken and all the other speakers. Um, this has um, been such a healing space and I just really appreciate, really appreciate um, all of you holding space. Um, it says I'm having a poor connection. So hopefully, hopefully you can hear me. I'm sorry if my connection is poor. Um, 
I just wanted to um, uh, share something that uh, Katie inspired me to share, which is um, some of my experience of all of the recent events as an uh, Korean-American adoptee. Um, I have white parents, and I also have a twin sister. Um, and we were both adopted from Korea in the early 90s. And my sister and I also have two older brothers who are black who were adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my family, I think it it is safe to say it was sort of like a microcosm of um, some of the dynamics that um, play out in America, in our institutions, in our systems, um, which is that my parents um, literally used me and my siblings as um, sort of proof or evidence of racial stereotypes. Um, my sister and I always did really well in school and um, never had any like behavioral issues or disciplinary issues and my brothers did not. And we were literally um, held up as like the model children or the model minority within our own family. Um, and I think it's just so devastating. Um, I think we often can forget that these Um, racial dynamics and stereotypes that are playing out um, in history and with current events literally tears apart families and tears apart individual relationships too. Um, It's a uh, division and a trauma that's happened in my own family. Um, And so I just want to thank everyone who's really spoken up for um, self-care and um, taking taking time to figure out how to um, communicate with people who are in the majority. Um, And I just want to encourage anyone here who's really struggling with that, um, the work and the emotional labor that it takes to engage in these issues, to um, give yourself permission to hold boundaries with um, the people in your life, even if those people are like, in my case, my own parents. Um, I've had to hold boundaries with my parents that um, have been very difficult to hold um, because it can feel very um, like a betrayal um, to my family when I'm upholding those boundaries. Um, But it is not our responsibility um, as adoptees of color, as women of color, as Asian women, to do all the emotional labor for white people um, and for people who have actively harmed us as individuals and because of the institutions and structures they're a part of. Um, So I just wanted to send out that kind of reminder and that permission to um, anyone else who's struggling with that. Um, I think it's um, kind of ingrained in us to do this emotional labor at the expense of our mental health, as so many other speakers have said. So um, my name is Kendra, and I'm... Kendra, you are mature beyond your years. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming to the stage and sharing that and giving us that reminder. And yes, to set healthy boundaries is so important, even though it can seem really hard. Um, And we've given a lot of tips today on how to do that. Um, so we're just going to go with one more speaker and then we're going to wrap things up. Yusai. Hi, everyone. This is Yusai speaking. First of all, can I take care of some business for the room for you guys really quickly? Um, 
Thank you for bringing me on stage. I just want to let everybody know this is a self-love club. And thank you, Candice, for opening this club up. And I've been listening for about an hour. And I want to invite, remember, remind everyone that to know this club is going to be happening with conversation like this is super valuable. We're over 400 people, 500 people at a time in this room. This room can only happen so that we support each other. So please do me a favor. Look to the left, right, top, bottom. These are like-minded people. Give them a click on their bio. Give them a little hello on the DM. And you know what? Follow them. And follow the club above so that you know this room happens when it happens. So you can join us and join her on this conversation. So that's business. I want to take care of for you, Candice, because I've been listening. These are valuable information we should share with the people in this room. And number two, Nadia, Aya, Liv, Shania, and Jamie, and some of the new people in this room I have not met yet. I'm glad to meet you guys. How incredible is this room, you guys? For those who are listening down there on the stage or below the stage, these are incredible women speaking about how to support the Asian community. We need men to do this thing. And this is what I've been preaching and talking and screaming on the mountaintop. Unity comes when all of us come together. This room is so full of so much love, and I know it's a self-love club. That means for men and women, all LGBTQI community all come together, or AIPI community is what we need to do. And there was a question raised earlier. How do we support each other, and what do we do to help each other? I'll just share a little bit of my journey this last two weeks. It's been an incredible trial period when Nadia's been with me side-by-side, side, hosting a room with me for over four hours, celebrating AIPA community. And doing that celebration is that we are confused. We don't know what to do. Then we come to a resolution that we need to stay together. And then how do we do that after? Well, for me, it's a simple DM for any one of you in the AIPA community that says, I hear you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for sticking your neck out. You're making a difference. Those are the things that make me able to continue to fight for equality and justice for our community. Whether that's in the fashion world, whether that's in the injustice of people being slaughtered, whether it's restaurants being vandalized or restaurants have to close because AIPA community is marginalized in so many different areas. What make people able to stand up and scream out a mountaintop like me for us is you. All of you, women, men, our community. So I beg of you guys, just always remember, if you don't have the loud voice, those who are out there screaming, give them a little bit of boost. Send a little lotus flowers. Just let them know that you're watching and you're supporting from afar. I watch you, Aya. I watch you, Jamie. I watch all you guys, what you're doing in your individual businesses and in Hollywood, Pinterest. I'm so proud to be part of this community. And Aya, you know me for a very, very long time. And you know the passion when I put my passion behind something. I cry with you. I laugh with you. And I'm so proud for you guys for doing what you're doing. And I hope men in this room can learn from all the ladies in this room. Continue talking and support each other. This is Yusai. I'm done speaking. Yusai, thank you for coming up. Um, funny enough, I was supposed to have done a cover with you like right before the pandemic happened, and it just didn't happen because we couldn't we couldn't <laughs> bring it together. Um, but I think it was Kenny from Vogue Singapore, uh, sorry Harper's Bazaar Singapore, who wanted us to get together. So I'm glad I could I could meet you here. Thank you so much. It's so funny. Five seconds ago, he just DM'd me. <laughs> so he must <laughs> felt your energy. But uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here we are. <laughs> it's true. Yutsai is a global force. I think we have one more speaker. Um, is it Yenzi? 
Patrice. Yes, it's mm-hmm. Quincy. Um, Quincy, thank you. beautiful day. Thank you, and thank you for holding this space, ladies. Um, I actually was trying. I was. I- given myself 24 hours to get off of you know social media because i've been exhausted and just rallying and fundraising the last i don't know how many days since tuesday and like you sigh my brother here to the left um has been there with me nadia um i just want to thank everyone for the space and i wanted to share um there there are so many action items um and i and i repeat these in many of the rooms but i am part of the aapi town hall here in clubhouse um so if you want to join in on sundays we we share, we share resources, we, sh- we support each other, we grieve with each other. Um, so if you're interested, uh, it is the link, sorry, the link is not in my bio, it's not Instagram. The link to the uh, Moving Google Doc for the AAPI Town Hall is in my uh, profile, as well as a link that our sister uh, Joey in created uh, to StopAsianHate.info. It is a landing page for tons of resources and news stories that um, if you want to learn more about or join in or just be an ally and, and hear and amplify about what's going on, that's an absolute awesome way to do so, just to educate yourself. That's one way to support. Just you, Sai, speaking. Quincy is so like you just sneak out of nowhere and just drop in with so much great information. I didn't even see you there. Thank you so much for your championship this entire week. So appreciate you. And yes, notice flowers sending your way. All right. Well, we're going to close this up. We're, we're hitting our third hour here right now. And I wanted to say a huge thank you to Liv, Shanina, Aaron, Ali, Shah, Jamie, Christina, Nadia, Aya, and everyone who raised their hand to come up and speak. And especially to each of you that stayed in the room the whole three hours and listened. A few things that Liv and I wanted to share We will both post links on our Instagram bios to all the resources that we collected. Jamie had us look up the HBO APA Visionaries uh, link as well as makeitblack.org because we do believe that we are stronger together and we should continue to uplift our black brothers and sisters along with our Asian community. One simple thing you can do every day is just try to understand that somebody might be going through something rough. So kindness is the easiest way for us to learn and grow together. Make friends with somebody who comes from a different place than you. Check out GoFundMe.com. There is a section called Stop AAPI Hate. You can donate directly to the families that have been impacted by the beatings and in some cases killings Um, It's a hard page to look at, but I highly recommend choosing a few to donate to. Lastly, if you see something, please report it and say something because silence is truly a virus. And if you are able to spend time volunteering with a community program that does good, we will try to post resources, but there's a group called Compassion in Oakland You can make donations, um, especially in the San Francisco area, which is where many of these um, attacks have been taking place. Um, And I want to remind you all, the number is uh, 3,800 attacks have been reported so far, and it is up 150%. Let's do our work on trying to create awareness on how hate is a virus and 
we are moving backwards. We should be moving forward. So look to the light and remember all the beautiful faces in this room. You are powerful beyond measure, and I commend each of you for the work that you do in your community and how brave each and every one of you are. And be proud to come from a different place because where we come from makes us who we are. And why in any world would we ever all want to be the same? So celebrate your diversity. Liv, any last notes or any of the other ladies and panelists? No, Candice, you said it so beautifully. I just want to say I love you all. And yes, once again, gratitude for spending and, you know, taking this time with us. And, you know, you've really uplifted us as well. You know, we, we were going through this. We were feeling so heavy. And at times we've been questioning why we were, why we were going to do this. Is this the right thing? Um, so obviously it is the right thing. And so thank you for your support. And all the other moderators, ladies here with us, you guys are incredible. Um, love you all. And we'll be in touch again. I hope you enjoyed episode 56 as much as we did. I am so touched by these ladies. I have put a link on my website at candiskumai.com with AAPI resources on how you can support your community. There are people that were directly impacted by the attacks on Asians and Asian Americans at this time. You can make a direct contribution to some of these unfortunate families that are so grateful for any help at GoFundMe.com. You also should check out every single one of these girls and their line of work. Again, I'm going to list them off so you can follow each of them on Instagram or on TikTok or their website or newsletter and support them, buy their books, uplift them, watch their shows. Make sure you read their stories when they're out and support the work that these women do. Ali Maki, Jamie Chung, Erin Lim, Shanina Sheik, Liv Goulding, Christina Rodolfo, Shadai McSween, Nadia Okamoto, Aya Kanai, Diana Tsui, and Candice Kumai. Make sure that you uplift one another. And if you have a friend out there that is marginalized in any form, LGBTQ, Black, Latino, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, Native American, white, it doesn't matter. My father is from Poland. You know, we all have a story to tell of where we come from. Just let somebody know that you're there for them and you love them because you never know what another person is going through. And while we support Me Too and the Black community and AAPI, the bottom line is is that we must educate to create change. We must educate to create change. We must educate to create change. It is the only proven way to create change is through education. Read books, find reliable sources, look at journals, look at books, find resources that are highly how do you say, fact-checked and make sure to do diligence on where you're getting your information. Racism is not something that we're born with. It's something we're taught or we saw it or we learned it along the way. And sometimes it's not even about racism. Sometimes it's just negligence, ignorance, assuming that people come from the same place when they clearly don't because Singapore is very far away from Tibet and is very far from Japan and is very far from Taiwan 
or even India, but yet we're all Asian, but we might come from different places. And many of the people that are attacked are American. They've been here for decades. You know, their family has been here maybe even for centuries. So you need to always do your homework and don't make assumptions on anybody else based off of the way that they look. It is said that we make assumptions about a way a person looks when they walk in the room within seconds. That's called passive judgment. It's something I've been studying in my recent work, and I hope and pray that each of you can tell someone of a different color than you that you love them today and that you're here for them. I see all of you. I hear all of you. And remember, kindness Somebody might be having a really bad day. You don't know what they're going through. So the best form of love is through kindness. I love you guys. Take good care. Don't forget to review this podcast and give it a five-star review and share it with your girlfriends. And as always, sign up for my newsletter and support AAPI women and our community, because we are part of the reason why this country is so great and so grand. Let's not take that away. Take care until then.